Hello again, fellow basement dwellers. It's your good pal Patrick O'Dowd coming to you for another edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Very excited about this week's episode, Limited Bullets. Folks, we only we only got three because we're going to do an all, all music edition of the episode. This is going to be our super definitive end-all be-all list of the greatest music acts of all time, according to the Bandwagon Nerds crew. That's right, I said crew, so we of course can't forget our other two hosts on the show today, welcoming in our good friends David Ungar and the scientist himself, DPP. Gentlemen, how are you today? Feeling good. I know Dave's feeling the burn over there, so, you know, I'm going to make sure he's all right. Oh, well, you know, that's that's what the pool is for, although I think I had to close the pool today because uh, it has to be chemically altered a little bit. So, you know, when you got like five grandkids swimming all day yesterday, it tends to throw the chemistry because, as you know, Dan, scientists that you are, pools are really nothing but giant chemistry experiments. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the shit you got to throw in there and the, everything that you got to keep it to keep it clean and, uh, you know, make sure the the kids burn their eyes. That's for That's sure. That's right. Well, the good thing about saltwater pools is the chlorine doesn't burn your eyes. So oh. Ew, saltwater pools. I know it's very it's nice and soft on your skin, but yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a lovely 109 degrees out here today in Bakersfield. It is July. What are you gonna do? Live in the Midwest or the East Coast where yeah. It's like- but then I got to so, deal with all that humidity, and that's not fun. We either. we did have to deal with a uh, residual effect of a tropical storm off the off the East Coast. That was that was our big weather thing this week. I had a I had a rough go though. I think I, I don't know if you guys saw uh, on the interwebs, but uh, I missed out on the DeMarco show this week because my basement flooded due to flood rains. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. Not cool. Even less cool because we have a finished basement. So all that water just right into a carpet. Three days later of intense drying and about a thousand dollars later, we are cleaned up and back in the basement studio. And then Mother Nature decided, well, we gave you a flood, and now all these pests that fled the flood are now in your house. So get rid of them. And it's, it's we and they're, and they're ballsy pests, by the way. Like I'm sitting watching TV yesterday after mowing the lawn, and this d- damn mouse just like runs across the floor, like right in front of me, and is like, hey yo. So Stops, we, we give, give you the flicks you the bird. Hey, I'm out of here. Well, I, I I bought him dinner in the form of some beautiful bait traps that he has been enjoying thoroughly, and so I, I anticipate his his uh, time with us will be done in a couple of days. Oh. He is digging in. Good times. <laughs> oh man, that's rough. Did you have to get all new carpet, or did you just drying it out no. enough was able to kind of take care of it? Try. I mean, this carpet. We want to get rid of this carpet anyway. This carpet's been with us since the house got here. It's crap. It's terrible. The uh, the funny thing is, is we took up a little bit of it because it's we have a door. It's um, it's like a bulkhead door from the basement that goes out to the backyard. So there's like concrete like enclosure with stairs up that gets you up to the back door out of this out of this uh, basement. And that's where the water got through. You can totally tell. You can see where the water like the water source. You can see where the water damage along the seam. So there is some work to be done there. Uh, and, it, you know, it's the first time we've ever had anything like this happen on that side of the house. So it's clearly like either this was the, the final nail and what will be a perpetual flood thing until we fix it. Or the deluge was so much. And we did have like flood level water. Like, you know, 
when you get those super serious rainstorms, you got like the streaks of mud in the street and stuff like all around the neighborhood. That was what we had. So it could just be that the sheer volume of water was too much for the, for the house and the door to handle. But we eventually want to get rid of it entirely, just refoundation that part of the house and seal it up and paint it off. It's just, you got to have a money tree to make that happen. And, you know, Trump's America, so I don't have money. We're still waiting for those podcast residuals, aren't we, Dan? (laughs) That's right. Been waiting for a while. You two, you two have been busy this week. I, I saw a DP in particular. I saw your name all over the postings you know, of, of the Chair Shot Radio Network like for this week. That's yeah, what happens man. when you take a week off of work and have vacation. You end up having to stick around for all these different podcasts. Pot is war needed. PC Tunney needed some filling help on Pot is war. Had a winner is you. We had DWI with Big Dave was on, and now the bandwagon nerds. You know. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we are we are hard working fools. Like right. that. And it should be noted for the uh, listeners that DP the scientist clean shaven. Oh, got yeah. rid of his playoff. Got rid of his playoff beard. Oh yeah. I figured, you know, That's... sports aren't coming back, so I might as well just start fresh. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not looking good, kids. Not looking good. No. Well we got a we got a pretty it's funny, we've got a limited rundown this week but we got a pack show because we're going to do a list show and that always takes us a little bit longer than we would like to do this hopefully won't be a four-hour marathon like we've done in the past but we're going to dedicate this week's episode to music and talking about kind of the music that shapes us the music that we love we forced ourselves to come up with a top 10 list that's going to be the first half of the show after we cover episode seven of the boys and then we have an interview uh, Forbes contributor Jim Ryan is um, going to come talk to us uh, out of Chicago. He just put out an article for Forbes. His latest article is up uh, in which he got to spend a lot of quality time with, I'm going to forget the name of the band, um, Social H, I want to say, or something like that. Um, let me take a look. There's a band H? called Local H. Local H. That's Local what it is, Social H. H. Oh, they have, yeah. I got a good story about Local H, man. And they're well, got, probably their most well-known song. Yeah, he got he got to spend some time with Local H as they um, pulled off a pair of drive-in concerts uh, in the in Illinois, in the Chicagoland area. Actually, that's, Chicagoland area is generous. It was like two hours away from Chicago. But um, they did they did a live concert in the drive at a drive in and not like what you've seen some of these other artists do where they um, showed a concert on the screen and the act wasn't actually there. They actually performed at the drive in and projected the performance up on the screen. And so Jim's going to come talk to us a little bit figure he's going to talk to us a little bit about his story, how he got to be uh, a writer and interviewing all these musical acts. And then we're going to probably spend a good portion of time asking him what live music is is going to look is looking like now in the land of covid and where it's going to go cuz things things be a changing yeah <laughs> oh dave <laughs> so on that yeah let's without further ado don't jump right into the boys and dave i want to call you back to last week so last week you complimented dp and i about how we register very well in not giving away no no hold on now hold on i've complimented you guys for two weeks running now as to your poker faces right so don't sell yourself short you're tremendous slouch (laughs) so with the poker face working so well 
how effective was it when you found out how Starlight and Huey's relationship was going to turn? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would just say that I, fuck, that thing you just kind of, <laughs> you, you knew that it was, I mean, when they start off at a hotel and, and okay, they're, they're now intimate with each other and you just knew, yeah, this isn't going to end well. You know, and it, it was cool to see them together, but at the same time, you just knew, okay, this is the first five minutes of this episode. It's all going to go downhill from here. But yeah, you guys, you guys kind of held your cards close to your chest, didn't give anything away. And uh, yeah, Starlight and Huey's relationship is one of those situations where it's, 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 um, it's a little gut wrenching to watch what they're going through, especially at the end. And oh, my wife actually brought me a drink. Thanks, son. I mean, okay. <laughs> if, if there's any if there's any validation for the uh, the relationship status, it's complicated. Yeah, that that I think really fits very well with uh, Starlight and Huey at the at the end of this episode, and Butcher just not helping the cause at all, right? Like Butcher blasting away at her in the chest, following Huey around. His obsession with soups. Yeah, I finishes mean, off any hope for now that that relationship is recoverable. I got to say that out of all the series we've watched, this episode to me felt the most intense. Like I couldn't, didn't want to turn away from anything because there's so much stuff crescendoing at the same time on this episode. I mean, you've got the stuff with Homelander where basically he just bitches down Starlight with the uh, heat vision and and is like, don't even try it. And I'm just, I'm just like, I, I'm like sitting there thinking, God, can't Superman just show up and stand in front of her and say, Go ahead. I got heat vision too, asshole. <laughs> but, but that's not going to happen. Uh, but yeah, Homelander. And then you, and then you get, I guess, the scene with Homelander and and what could best be termed his dad. I'm guessing the guy who helped raise him in the lab and the, called the scientist who raised him. Yeah, and then calls him his greatest failure. Um, y- y- you find out that Butcher's wife. I don't think she was raped by Homelander. That looked pretty consensual to me. And then, uh, you know, she got pregnant with his kid and they didn't think he could get anybody pregnant. And this kid kills the mom in delivery and doesn't last longer than 10 seconds. And you got that going on. You've got, you know, a train and the shit with with Huey's dad happening. Um, By the way, when a train gets his legs fucking broke. Yeah. Yeah, Kimiko oh, was not fucking around, man. Kimiko just <laughs> took his ass out. And Huey is smart. He says, you know, you're right. I would have been dumb to uh, not, you know, to come alone. Um, Butcher seemingly showing some humanity for a second with Mother's Milk by calling in Rainer. And she and just throwing down the gauntlet. She throwing down the gauntlet. And then, of course, Madeline's got that fucking ace up her sleeve that, uh, you know, well, something wrong there, you know. And <laughs> at the end, and now you've got super terrorists. So... Episode eight, I can't. I I understand it's going to be even more fucked up than anything. That's uh, that's a given. But man, there's so much good stuff going on. Maeve trying to be like almost the moral compass for Starlight and help her. You know, she kind of intervenes. Um, and let's not forget about the deep getting finger fucked in the gills. I, oh. I mean, that's that's something that is going to be difficult to get out of my head for a while. And I almost and I said it yesterday. I said I almost feel sorry for the deep because. Despite the fact that he's a piece of shit for what he did at the beginning, nothing that that guy touches, nothing goes right for him. Dolphin, no, through the window and smashed. Lobster, I'm going to save you. Dispatched <laughs> on the counter table. Hilarious. I'm sorry. I 
this is the thing is Dave, part of the reason why I can have such a good poker face is because I've forgotten a lot of, of things. Like it's like the dolphin. I, I think I messaged you guys. I was like, guys, I forgot the dolphin. Yeah. You and did. you were like, how do you forget that? I forgot the lobster. I remembered the gill thing. And it really is supposed to be this, like, look how far he's fallen because of this decision, you know, because of, of his, you know, harassment of starlight. And you are supposed to feel a little bad for him. I think you are supposed to feel a little guilt because it's not like, like it's not a sexual thing for him at all. It's like how one of his ways of breathing and they're very delicate and fragile. And he tries to point this out. He, he gets sexually assaulted. He gets a taste of his own medicine back at him. And I think it's a very intentional bookend to his story. I can't remember if he pops up in the, in the eighth episode or not, but it really is a full circle moment for him in this season to, to go from abusing his, his power to losing all his power and actually being someone who's stuck in a terrible spot where there's no crime to fight and he can't even save a lobster. And he's basically been ostracized at this point, you know? I mean, that's really because the seven is down to the five, as Homelander has said. And uh, that I idea. Noir. Noir's cool. Yeah, Noir is just great. Like, yes, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah, not Noir. He's cool. I love that. Yeah, he's, and, uh, the silence is golden on his part. He's just kind of looking at him. You guys are all fucking idiots, you know? And, uh, but, uh, man, what a, what a tremendous episode that was. And, and I mean, I feel. You feel bad for Starlight. I mean, out of all the characters, she's the one who I just feel like, okay, she didn't really. And then the revelation that she gets, like we were talking about it last week, that these heroes are not born that way. They're grown that way. And for Starlight to actually get confronted with that reality, you could see her, the walls kind of closing in around her, that everything she's been told and everything she's been taught is all bullshit. And then Huey just kind of, and, and I mean, I was confused at the end. Okay, why is Huey just leaving her there? But probably to protect her, I imagine, is, is right. something going on there. And he's running off with Butcher to keep her safe. Although she seemed like she was just going to shrug that shit off. And I have a feeling Starlight's much more powerful than we've been led to believe so far. But well, we, man, we haven't really seen her at work other than, you know, a couple of a couple of snippets here and there. So. I, I, made, I made the comment to my wife last night because I love her dearly. But I was like, babe, you know, when, when we get it on, can your eyes light up like that? You know, at, at the climax moment, because that's a nice little touch. I, I got to say. <laughs> it was it was a it was a nice little touch. Uh, so so Dave. We, we've really put this on you, and I don't know if you've got any thoughts that you want to add to this, DP, but what what do you what do you think's gonna what are you expecting here in episode eight? Um <laughs> That's a good answer. Very solid Dude, answer. I, I don't I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the super terrorist is gotta be an in for the you know, it gives Madeline a way to wedge her heroes into the military. Even if, you know, Rainer's got all this evidence against them. But what are you going to do when you've got a super terrorist on the other end? You know, it, it's basically like the uh, the Hall of Injustice on the other end. Are you just going to take basically lock up all your superheroes when you've got this mega threat out there that is running amok? So I think that's one part. Huey and Starlight, I, 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 I want to hold out hope that they can work beyond this. But with one episode to go, I seriously doubt that's going to work out. Um, 
you I know, mean, he did choose to run with the dude who shot her in the chest. Twice. Yeah, that's that's a problem. I, Although I, I feel I, like I, that might hurt their relationship a little bit. I think so, too. Although I, I imagine Huey can spin this and say, I was trying to protect you and keep any further bullshit away from you. But, uh, you know, Butcher's got his own stuff. Uh, you know, I don't know about I got a feeling the last episode's really going to focus a lot on, on Homelander. Um, maybe Maeve gets involved. I figure Black Noir is going to have a bigger role in this thing. I, yeah, the deep is just kind of out there, and we we'll keep see. Waiting for Black Noir to have a bigger role in this thing. Right? Yeah, right? exactly. So <laughs> I, you know, at this point after episode seven, Patrick, honestly, I've got no preconceived notions about anything. I'm just like, you know, as soon as we stop recording here, and I've got the green light to watch episode eight, it's probably going to happen pretty quick. Finish it, finishing it tonight. I might, I might have to do that, man. I really, because I've. I was genuinely like, God, I wonder what the hell happens. And, uh, uh, it's such, it's been, that was probably out of all the four series that we've watched. Episode seven might've been my favorite so far because it just, it's, it's a pretty intense episode. It, it was it, intense is the word. I mean, that is the real word. It was as intense as any episode that I've seen on any of the four shows. And we, it just we didn't even talked about Mesmer's end. Oh God. Oh. Yeah. Jesus. That was amazing. My wife's writing me notes saying something like, I'm going to shit my pants. Okay. Thank you, love. I appreciate that. Right, in the, right, right above this rating I came up, came up with for somebody's lumbar disability. Okay. That works. That's another story. That's the real world. Pulling uh, the curtain back, man. Pulling the curtain back <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I, yeah, Mesmer's end, man. It was just, you know, and, and you got to see some of the stuff that was in Butcher's head. And then Butcher just, eviscerates his face on the corner of a sink and that's the end of mesmer so it was gruesome it was gruesome but yeah i I don't want to go into that last episode with any like i I mean i got some loose thoughts rolling around but really i have a feeling i'm going to be way off the mark on this stuff so um and i'm just i'm looking forward to it and then i can watch i can watch episode eight then we can watch the trailer and talk about that next week and then get ready for (laughs) september 4th I might have I might have watched the trailer uh, after my rewatch just to to watch it. Uh, I, I think we're waiting. about the fourth time. Now. I'm, I'm waiting for yeah, episode I, eight. I, a times. <laughs> so. I mean, in every every notification I get lately is, "Boy, season two trailer, season two thoughts." It's Fuck coming. you! It's season two. Right, <laughs> right, right. Fine. Yeah, I I'm just at a loss for words on where to, where it's going to go next. Uh, partially because I can't remember it. I remember some. I remember. I remember the big details of episode eight. I remember the big ending. sitting here. She's got like, she's got a poker face on a little right. bit. Not as good as your guys because she's no. writing me notes, but I remember right. the ending part writing of it, notes, but there's trying uh, to do a show here. Yeah. Like you said, Pat- Patrick, there's, there's a lot of those little, the little details that I forgot too, like, you know, the lobster and everything like that. So I'm sure there's a couple in, in the last episode here that right. I, I'm not going to remember. Gosh. That's going to be like, Oh fuck. What the fuck was that? But, Right. It's uh, so, yeah, it's it's good. It's going to be really good, and I'm looking forward to what they do with the next season because, you know, obviously, you know, I think this this last one's going to kind of revolve around Homelander a bit, and knowing finding out in this last episode that he he basically knows, you know, he was born in a lab, you know, that kind of thing, but it seems like the rest of them don't un- don't know that, and you know, is that all going to come to a head as well? You know, where 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 right. does everybody go? when they start finding these things out is, is kind of the big question and how it's all going to come together. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That's a good point. When they start realizing the truth about their origin, that there is no origin story guys. You were made this way. Um, 
it seems like Homelander is the only one that really knew, you know, based on this last episode that, you know, but we don't know about the other ones, you know, because we haven't gotten the details from them about them. Exactly. So hopefully we'll get some answers come next week and be able to talk about it. We'll review season eight of the boys and then we got to figure out if there's another show we want to watch or if we want to wait on something that's coming up soon, because that's always a viable thing. We can't wait. We could always pause. We can't wait, man. No, man. It's one of the central parts of this show is, and it's something I look forward to is watching something because this show has made me watch series that I probably wouldn't have watched otherwise. And I'm so thankful for this show because it has introduced me to such great stuff. And I mean, I I figure, I figure the next poll, you know, we got to put it out there. I mean, I've got an idea of what the four should be based on the last one we did. Oh, we can. Yeah, well, let's see what happens. Then. Patrick, you can never watch too much, even if we have to pull triple duty. Oh, I've got the, like four shows that I'm currently watching on, you know, whether it's streaming some, you know, some new televisions actually popped up, which has been exciting. You know, I, I, I think I've put this show over a couple of times, but if you gave up on Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you gave up too soon because it's been a far superior show when they got out from under the shadow of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and just did their own thing. It's been such a different experience. But enough about that. We got 30 minutes before we got to try and get a hold of our guest. And we got a list to do. Now, I wish we had some intro music, something fancy and flashy, but we don't. I wanted to talk music this week. I I love DP's like, well, maybe we could have something. (laughs) Let me see what I have over here. DP, Um, just throw some Backstreet Boys on. I mean, this list is going to be heavily boy band oriented. So I bet you it's totally going to be heavily boy band oriented. But to kind of gear us up for our all music episode and our interview with uh, with Jim later on in the show, I thought it would be good to do take a page out of some of our previous episodes and put together some lists. And with that, we were going to do the Bandwagon Nerds super definitive end all be all list of the greatest music acts of all time. Right, now, music is not subjective, of course. Music is not right. subjective. This is the this is the list. This is the only list. It's the one you should rely on because the nerd said so. And of course, because it's our list. So when you're wrong and arguing with us, noble listener, it's because you're wrong because this is our list and it's what's ours. And so we didn't. I didn't set any criteria for building this list, uh, and, and I just wanted us to come up with ten. I don't know about the two of you. It was very, very difficult for me to cut it down to 10. I told this to to both of you at different times. I sent a list with the rundown. I've changed it twice uh, at the bottom end of my list. So already, you know, I know there's been some modifications. For me, I tried to look at a couple of different things. I tried to look at just the music that I do listen to, like the music I legitimately listen to on a regular basis, coupled with music that does really resonate with me. And so, you know, as I go through this list and talk about the different tunes that are, you know, the different artists that I put on here, you know, that's going to kind of be the basis for my, you know, my rankings uh, through this top 10. And so before we dive in, you know, I'll throw it to, I'll throw it to the two of you. DP, why don't you start when, you know, putting this list together, what were the things you considered in building your, top 10 musical acts of all time well it was you know starting off with what's my go-tos you know if i if i just want to listen to some music you know what's my regular ones that i'll always put on if i just want to hear some random music you know there's there's my you know big top ones are pretty easy i think you know coming up with 
these are ones I've, I've maybe, you know, when I was a teenager was like the big hits for me, the big things, the concerts I went to, you know, those kind of things that were super popular at the time. And then it started to trickle into, you know, what have I started to mold the type of music I really like into towards the, you know, towards my current age kind of thing, you know, where if I just want to sit back and relax and, you know, we're out, you know, by the fire, you know, and just listen to some music, want to put some music on in the background. What's our background music type of thing? What's something I can casually listen to that I don't have to like sit there and rock out to or anything like that. It's just, it's good quality background music. You know, I, it started to really form what I really like, I guess, as I, as I got older, I, I understood like, you know, what I really like is, you know, a good guitar, you know, song, you know, not a lot of heavy, you know, full band type of thing. I'm more of an acoustic guy. I seem to trickle towards that. So that's kind of what I built it on is, you know, what do I, what do I listen to that I really like as far as, you know, that kind of genre of, of guitar heavy acoustic type music. And that's kind of where I started to go to. Obviously I had my, my couple at the top that I've loved for years and decades. And then the next ones are, you know, what have I loved recently? I guess. Right. Uh, for me, it was, um, I mean, it was hard to get it down to 10 because it could have easily been 50 or something like that. I, and music's been such a, a huge part of my life. Cause I, I mean, when I was a teenager, you know, I had real long hair playing in a heavy metal band, playing guitar. So most of my music choices kind of revolve around, you know, the more musical talented bands and acts of uh, that, I, that, it, you know, I grew up with that sort of thing. And I, I grew up, you know, I was, in the eighties, I was graduating from high school. So there's a heavy influence of that. There's no hair bands on here, even though I love the hair, the, you know, the glam rock hair metal era of things. I'm like, okay, there's, I don't think I could bounce any of those guys into the top 10, but yeah, my list is kind of similar to, to DPs. It's like the music that resonates with me, the music that makes me feel a certain way. Uh, you know, and I said earlier, music's not subjective. That was highly sarcastic because it's you very, yeah i mean and it it is music is something that you you genuinely feel it it generates it elicits a reaction from you internally and so a lot of the bands on my list are are just the bands that seem to bring that out more prevalently than than some of the other ones and just the stuff that i've i've you know grown up with over the years and it's like yeah these are my these are the bands i most associate myself with with their musical their songs uh, their music, their lyrics, uh, lyrics are very important and probably understated in a lot of, uh, musical kind of, you know, projects of this sort. So that, that's kind of where I went with mine. They're just, they're just bands that mean something to me just because of time frames in my life, what I was doing at the time, you know, the state of mind I was in the, uh, outlook on life at that point in time, what bands were really resonating with me. One of the Very bigs cool. is the, so, the like the one hit wonders and stuff like that was the tough ones. Like there's a lot right. of bands like I like a couple of their songs, but it's like eh, they wouldn't but make you my really list. Really like the catalog, yeah. Right. It's like more of the catalog of the list that like eh, yeah, they're not gonna make it. Like if we did a top ten songs, probably seventy oh, percent of these would not make my list. <laughs> so one of the other questions I had before we get into this list is of your top ten list, just and just a quick once around. How many of the acts on your list were you actually able to see in person live? So looking at mine, 
I have seen one, two, three, four, five. I've seen half of mine live. I've seen four of mine. Zero. Zero. All right. Sadly, I, zero. I mean, I'm well, and it's <laughs> it's one of those things, and we'll get into this. But some of it for me, it's it's either they're too expensive or they're dead. A couple and, of them are dead. And three of my four, I've seen multiple times. So right, same same with me. A couple of mine, I've seen more than once. So, uh, just a quick reminder of the rules. This is a top ten list. If when somebody's turn comes up, they rattle off a band, and you have it on your list higher chime in and say we'll get to them you know it's on my list it'll be a little ways up uh we'll see how much how much overlap we actually get um it's always exciting to see how those connected and i randomized a draft order or a pick order list order however you want to call it uh before the show the order today will be dave going first with his number 10 followed by dp followed by patrick o'dowd rotisserie style in this household as we all know. And so without further ado, Dave, please lay on us your 10th favorite music act of all time. Well, first I have 10 honorable mentions. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you were, you were reminded. I know. Of no honorable, <laughs> no honorable mentions. Uh, my number 10 is the police. Oh, okay. Nobody's got that. I, yeah, I mean, I, the police were, too short-lived unfortunately mm-hmm. immensely talented they put out some great some great records uh message in a bottle is one of my favorite songs of all time especially we used to like you know count how many times they say sending out an sos at the end it's like 18 19 and you got to listen to the fade out to get the exact number but yeah i loved uh you know sting is decent enough as a solo act but certainly not when you combine him with Stuart copeland and uh fuck i forgot the other guy's name but uh just drawing oh, man, a blank. I know, but uh, I love <laughs> I love the here. strong, also awesome start. But yeah, songs like Roxanne, "Message in a Bottle," "Every Breath You Take," uh, "Synchronicity." Um, I there's think... there's there's so much that they did that just was uh, they just have such a unique sound to right. them that well, I, I just loved the Police when I was growing up. I loved their influence too, and it's it's one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of this is where you can hear their work throughout other stuff and what really got me back to the police and paying attention to the police was the movie Moulin Rouge where they do a tango cover of the song Roxanne that is surprisingly good I mean that movie I, I enjoyed that movie thoroughly and all the popular music in it but that was what brought me back to the police to, to kind of check them out more so you I don't think you can go wrong there man and that's a band that folks want to do a one-off reunion and they just can't seem to seem to resolve whatever it is that broke them up yeah yeah i mean they've they've tried a couple times and it hasn't been quite the same but uh yeah it's one of those bands that like you said no one really knows for sure what went wrong and they kind of split at the height of their powers which is a common refrain with a lot of the bands on my list is splitting up at the height of their broke up okay splitting up at the height of their powers so for one reason or another but yeah i got the police at number 10 Oh, all right, DP, you're number 10. All right, this one may be one you may have never heard of. It's a guy named Charlie Terrell. If you've ever seen the movie Pool Hall Junkies, I don't know if that's another one I, that you've I, ever seen. But... Actually, I, I have not. You've out-nerded us twice yes. so excellent. far. Excellent, excellent. Right, well done. But Taking I've over to you, the nerds. Stumbled, stumbled upon his song, one of his songs on that 
uh, movie, which is a really good movie if you get to get to see it. It's got Christopher Walken in it. It's all about playing pool. Uh, it's a really fun movie. And this song popped up. And I'm like, this is a really good song. You know, I got to figure out who this is. And, you know, this was at the time of, you know, you barely could download, move, you know, songs for free or, you know, for free on the Internet. And I couldn't find him anywhere. I ended up stumbling. I had to pull it out of uh, just Google searching and ended up finding where I could find one of his CDs and was able to buy it and turned out to be just a crazy, awesome album. It's kind of like a Southern blues, you know, guitar heavy type of thing, you know, maybe little rock, little kind of country in there as well. Uh, but he's got some just some fantastic music. If you ever get to listen to it, go check it out. He is on Spotify. Luckily, now that Spotify's out there, you can find it. Look up uh, Redneck Gigolo. That's the most popular song that's out there. And it's just it's fantastic. It's just got a good kind of bluesy rock sound to it with a little Southern Kind of a little, little bit of Christian in there as well too, but uh, not not heavy on that. But there's, you know, I found that first CD was awesome. Ended up finding the other kind of two albums he's done, and he's just got the, like the whole CD from start to finish is one. You know, just one of those where all three of his CDs are just that good, where you can listen to it from beginning to end, and each song is, you know, one of those that you can listen to and kind of just, you know, rock out casual casually to you know in the background kind of thing so it's a little, little one that's out there probably nobody has heard of but he's uh, really talented actually i found out he's a he's a huge artist as well and does a lot of paintings and stuff like that too like guys ridiculously talented so if you get a chance go check out charlie terrell he's he's fantastic absolutely sounds you know that's part of the joy of doing these lists is that we do get to sometimes check out stuff we've never heard of my number 10, I don't know if you all have heard of this band. They're no longer together. Uh, they're out of Newfoundland, Canada. Uh, originally, they're called Great Big C. And Great Big C uh, is a a Newfoundland Celtic folk-ish sort of band with some rock elements to it. Uh, their lead singers were a pair of guys by the name of Alan Doyle and Sean McCann. Bob Hallett made up the third primary member of the group. And they grew up in the fishing, uh, the fishing towns around Newfoundland, Canada, and picked up a lot of their music through traditional sea shanties that they then modernized out. The band started as a college project and grew from there. And probably the person that you may have ever seen uh, out of this group is Alan Doyle. Alan Doyle is really good friends with Russell Crowe. And Alan is actually in the movie the Robin Hood movie that Russell Crowe was in. There is a best friend character who plays a lute and sings around the group. Uh, If you go back and watch the movie, that's Alan Doyle. And for various reasons, the band was together for about 20 years, broke up, has about 10 to 15 albums, obviously huge in Canada. And I actually learned about them through going to see a different band at Navy Pier in Chicago and, and totally being sucked in by them. And I've seen that. I saw them three times, I think, over the course of discovering them and then trying to make time to see them. They just they put on a terrific show. They have a lot of fun. Like I said, very folksy, but with some rock elements, too. They play, you know, they had original music. They played traditional stuff. They have a song about riding a donkey. And they also have a great song about hockey called Helmet Head which uh, I strongly recommend that you, you give a listen, Dave, as a hockey fan. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's my number 10. My number 9 is no longer with us, 
and is the other late addition I made to the list that I swapped out. And that's uh, that's John Denver. I, I don't know how to explain my love for John Denver other than to say that he calms the hell out of me. When like I, I suffer from anxiety at different times, and when I'm having a really bad go, John Denver's music is oddly enough one of the most like calming and soothing things for me to listen to. He makes beautiful, beautiful music. I again, I tend to err towards and tend more towards his folk and country esque sort of or than his country esque sort of stuff. But um, you know, poems, prayers, and promises is one of my favorite songs to listen to all the time. And so John Denver for me, you know, I, his, he, you know, he had a serious problem with alcohol, you know, and he died tragically in an airplane accident. Uh, He was piloting the plane and crashed into a mountain and, you know, we lost him too soon. He's one of the folks that was instrumental in giving testimony against censoring music along with Dee Snyder from uh, Twisted Sister back during those famous Tipper Gore trials. Uh, and John Denver was the guy that Tipper thought was going to side with you. We need to control these lyrics. And John Denver said no. And a lot of people, you know, people remember Dee Snyder's testimony for being quite famous. But at the end of the day, it really was, uh, you know, as much John Denver saying this is censorship and it's wrong that that made as much a difference as anything. Yeah. John Denver is a American classic. Now yes, I know why is. you don't like Dumb and Dumber because that John Denver is full of shit, man. That one <laughs> line there. <laughs> we don't want to talk about. It. We're not bringing it back to Dumb and Dumber. Why don't you just talk about your number nine? You can bring that movie up. My number nine uh, is a band called Devil Makes Three. It's a kind of a bluegrass type of music, bluegrass low rock uh, type of music that I kind of stumbled upon just a couple years ago. And there's a couple songs that I found called Old Number Seven, where they talk about, you know, drinking whiskey and stuff like that. And um, ended up kind of liking a few of their songs. And just, um, boy, just in the last few months, honestly, I I really dug into their whole collection, their whole discography, and ended up finding just a ton of songs that I love. And this is a huge genre that I I really like, this kind of bluegrass, because it's heavy on kind of guitar and banjo and you know, music like that. And a lot of good lyrics as well. You know, we mentioned lyrics are a big thing and they have a ton of good songs that are, you know, have some really good lyrics, some really good music that you can just, you know, kind of jam out to and and listen to it on the guitar. And I've actually bought all of their LPs, which I have sitting behind me there as well, that are just some amazing music. And again, just kind of that stuff that you can listen to in the background and just really enjoy. And, you know, it's nothing too heavy, but it's not light you know, anything that's going to put you to sleep kind of stuff. It's just good background guitar, heavy music that you really like. If you get an opportunity again, that whole, their whole discography is out there on Spotify. It's just some, it's some good, good music. A lot of stuff about, I guess a lot of stuff about drugs and alcohol and and, and a lot of their stuff, but you know, uh, generally the, the lyrics and the music wise, it's still really, really good. Drugs and alcohol and music go figure. Yeah. Uh, they kind of do, they kind of do go hand in hand. Uh, which is a good a segue into my number nine, which um, is a little uh, a little bit more mainstream than your guys, and that's uh, it's Nirvana is my number nine. Uh, you know, and I was talking about the uh, the hair metal days and the glam rock days, and and just like how everything had gotten so stale 
near the end of the eighties with that stuff. And then these guys from, uh, from Seattle come in here and just kick the doors down and, and usher in the grunge movement. And, you know, Nirvana there, they were fantastic. They, uh, smells like teen spirit, man. The first few chords of that song, the first time you heard it, I don't know what your guys' memories are, but I distinctly remember going, what the fuck is this? And just everything changed from that moment on. And Kurt Cobain, troubled, tragic, no question about that. Uh, this band is another one that really had it, its longevity cut short because Kurt took his own life. Um, but man, it's uh, never mind is probably, I mean, if we ever do like a, a greatest albums of all time, I got to tell you guys, Nevermind is going to be really high up there on my list because it's just that good. Uh, the follow up uh, um, was ex- in utero was excellent as well. There's a couple of albums that uh, like Bleach is underrated. And there's another one called Insec- Incesticide, I think. And that's like a bunch of B-sides and stuff. And it is fantastic. By all means, go and search that out if you haven't listened to that, because there's some great stuff like Aneurysm is an awesome song. But uh, yeah, Nirvana's number nine. I mean, they really ushered in an entirely new movement in music at a time that it, that the industry was stagnant and desperately needed a big kick in the ass, and Nirvana provided that. That's one that's just below kind of my top ten there as well. Nirvana was a, was big for me, especially it was kind of right at the perfect time for me, you know, going into my teenage years, and that that was a big one as well. You'll see a couple of kind of post grunge rock coming up on my list as well that are. Really influential. Nirvana, the Nevermind album was definitely probably my probably make my top ten if we just do the albums for sure. I, I look for that, like albums that you can listen to from song one to the end. Yep. And um, you know, and Nirvana, yeah, Nevermind's one of those ones. You know, I mean, there there's some other ones that you wouldn't expect to be so high, but but yeah, Nirvana's really high up there. I don't know if Patrick's got any thoughts on them. I, here's the thing that's really kind of funny. Uh, I was not caught up in the grunge movement the way that a lot of other folks were like i liked nirvana like i appreciated them same thing with pearl i was actually more of a pearl jam guy than a than a nirvana guy but like i sort of missed the boat when it was popular and then came back to it later if that makes sense like i was kind i i was still sort of stuck about three or four years before they broke you know in the and the music that was huge before they were huge and appreciated nirvana but never really sort of dove in the way that a lot of other folks did it's a deep i mean well it can be a deep dive and that sort of thing but uh they're they're just um yeah i mean another band that god i wish they would have i wish they would add five extra years just to see what they could have done but for the fact that kurt checked out early um my number eight is is another band or another act that uh ended too early due to drugs and uh, it's the greatest guitarist in all time in my opinion the Jimi hendrix experience is number eight for me uh, you know hendrix is just from somebody who was starting out as a teenager trying to learn guitar and trying to kind of follow what jimmy was doing was nuts because you know this is a time when they didn't have what left-handed guitars so the fact that he flipped his right-handed guitar upside down restrung it and played upside down and played that fucking well is nothing short of damn near miraculous and mind-numbing and, and just nothing but great songs from Jimi Hendrix. I mean, from from Fire to Foxy Lady to Purple Haze to stuff you've seen in movies three billion times. And this is like the late 60s. And, and he's another guy. 
he dies from a, what an overdose of reds in like 1970 or something. Him and Morrison were partying together. And uh, there's another band that didn't make the list, but could have is the doors. Uh, but man, Jimi Hendrix was just phenomenal and, and just so many memorable songs and just, just, I mean, you talk about guys way ahead of their time. He's probably what, 20 years ahead of his time as far as guitar oh, yeah. talent goes. And just a massive influence on me as a guitar player and just somebody who I, you know, I don't emulate his lifestyle. And I think to myself, like a lot of these guys, what a fucking waste. What a tragic waste because give Jimi Hendrix 10 more years, get him into the 80s. And oh my God, what could he, what could he have done with 10 more years on the planet? Um, but for the time that he was here and the body of work he put in and just the sheer talent level and just doing stuff that still isn't replicated today. Yeah, Jimi Hendrix is way high on my list. Number eight for me. All I can ever think of is the conversation Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson have while talking about Jimi Hendrix and white men can't jump. Whether or not I can listen to Jimmy, but do yeah. I hear Jimmy? <laughs> I can hear that's Jimmy. True. No, you can't. That's true. Oh, that's awesome. All <laughs> uh, right. Uh, for me, number eight was the man in black, Johnny Cash. <laughs> I absolutely love the Johnny Cash music. That was it's one of my go tos if we're ever doing karaoke. I I will sing nice. Johnny Cash. Cocaine Blues is one of my all time favorites to play or to listen to. And Folsom Prison Blues is just I mean, the music he put up was just amazing. You know, the movie Walk the Line is one of my favorites. And, you know, just his story and just the fact that of all the music that they play in there as well that you know, Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon do are just, they just did such a great job with it. And I just absolutely love pretty much his whole discography. I mean, he did some great stuff when he got older as well, like hurt and all that. And, and, you know, Dan, you're mentioning hurt. It's surprising to me how many people think nine inch nails covered Johnny cash when it's actually the other way around. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's was so weird that yeah well, he covered it. Nine, nine Inch Nails went. He did it better. Yeah, that's what I love about that. Nine Inch Nails. Uh, like, I love good. both versions. <laughs> I, I, it's a tie to me. I mean, and not it. Well, it's it's funny, but it's just like the band that created the song. So I mean, they even recognize that it, as much as you may like the version, like they're like Johnny Cash owns that song. Like that's yeah. that they see it as a definitive version of the tune, which is just amazing to speak to just how impactful cash was in that cover yeah yeah and just some of the stuff he did with june carter as well you know doing jackson and, and all that just that that whole kind of genre i guess is I, I just absolutely love some of that stuff and he was one of my all-time favorites I'll, i got his albums as well it's just it's fun just to put on those as well and just just listen to cocaine blues and 25 <laughs> minutes to go and you know Folsom prison and just all that stuff is just its so fantastic. I, I absolutely love Johnny Cash. Very cool. My number eight, still haven't had any repeats on anybody's list yet, so that's kind of exciting. My number eight is Tool. Uh, and Seeing, yeah, begrudging nods, but still not on anybody's list. It was in the one second of, ten. <laughs> one of my good friends uh, from high school, I think, described Tool the best in trying to explain what makes them so good. And that is, he used to describe Tool as hearing a wall of sound. And that the the music and the musicianship behind Tool 
is just so dense and so heavy and just very, very powerful. And you got your money's worth out of a Tool album. If you Jesus. bought a Tool album, seven tracks is a two-hour trip. Just just plant, book it aside. We used to joke about commutes and how far you could go on one Tool album. Have you got so, the most recent one? I mean, the I one have. that... Jesus, I, that's it's excellent, but boy, is it seven, long. Seven songs, hour and 45 minutes or something <laughs> like that. It's obscene. But yeah, just you got, I love them. I love how their their music shakes my chest. It's so strong when you when you hear played. And I, you know, I would love to hear them live because I can only imagine it's an experience unto its own. Yeah, Sober's always been one of my absolute favorite tool songs. Uh, I love off the new CD, Tempest. Yeah, that's that's another great one. Uh, But um, one of the biggest developments last year was when Tool actually released their catalog to streaming because people have been clamoring for that for a decade. And they finally said, here you go. And uh, boy, God, that was that was so. Yeah. Now, leave leave us alone. Pay us like like, leave me alone. Pay me. Now, fuck off. You know, that sort of thing here. You got your wish. But yeah, Tool is uh what a tremendous band they are and, and it's complex you talk like you were kidding yesterday patrick about how you have layers and stuff like that man oh, no. every tool song is a layer unto itself very <laughs> that, very dense yeah. dense stuff i think uh, 40, 46 and 2 is probably my favorite tool song that's that's one of my favorites i ended up uh, somebody used that in one of their presentations at work and i'm like what is this and i'm like oh shit this is tool i'm like this is fucking good <laughs> that'll immediately grab your attention at a work presentation <laughs> yeah when, when or like the, if they throw down the, the pot or something like throw down the pot as the introduction to your uh, presentation <laughs> cool all right my number seven dave was surprised about this one uh when he saw the initial list i don't know if you got to see it, a chance to see a dp but bruno mars and Here's the thing, and, and, I, and a lot of people thumb their noses. I, I also have healthy respect for for Justin Timberlake um, when it comes to musicians that are just agreed, agreed that are just surprisingly good at a lot of different genres and are just straight up talent. Now, Bruno Mars is somebody who was raised in the music industry, and you can feel the roots of old Motown R&B in everything that he does. And I really started to jump on board with Bruno Mars. Like I appreciated Bruno Mars for, for a long time with albums like doo-wops and hooligans really loved 24 karat magic, fell in love with the video of him and Cardi B reenacting the opening to in living color while doing the song finesse and if you haven't seen the video check it out because it's an homage love letter to to in loving color and they they make no doubt about it people dress like fly girls they got the rooftop set it's amazing and he is just such a talent and has a voice that is just downright special i i love him and you know he is probably worth every penny that it costs to go see him in concert i respect the shit out of his talent He's not one of my favorites. He's got some great songs, no doubt. And he's immensely talented. And like you mentioned, Justin Timberlake, Lonely Island. Give me dick in a box every day of the week and (laughs) I I can be happy with it. But uh, I mean, Bruno Mars, immensely talented guy. I I do not begrudge him any of that stuff. So, I, yeah. 
Uh, number seven for me. Uh, you might have heard of this guy. Uh, he goes by the name of Bob Dylan. <laughs> I hear he's famous. He's he's pretty I, I've popular. I've heard something about him. Yeah, he's wrote a couple songs. You know, not even just for himself, but for other people as well. It's it's crazy the the ridiculous um, list of songs he has that he has done. Not only that he's sung, but that he's written for other people as well. I mean, just one of the best songwriters of all time. And I absolutely love his music. Subterranean, Homesick Blues, one of my favorites uh, that aren't, you know, one of the ones that are on the big top of the list, like like a Rolling Stone and all those. Like, that one is just fantastic. Just the, the lyrics that he does are so good. Blood on the Tracks is one of my favorite albums as well that he does. And, you know, he's just the... <laughs> Yeah, the amount of songs that are in his library is absurd that are that are that good that he has and you know, he's one of those like I could take his entire albums and one of your desert island lists and he could easily be on there because he has so many good songs that you could just sit and listen to and enjoy. I just just one of my favorites. Yeah, without a doubt. Not yeah. I don't even know that there's much you can add to that like just ridiculously influential on anybody and everybody. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Hendrix. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's Jimmy Hendrix. Jimmy Hendrix too. That's right. Watchtower exactly. and all that. You know, uh, absolutely. I, uh, Dylan, man, what a songwriter, man. Oh, so my number seven is sticking with the greatest guitarist of all time, sort of theme, and it's uh, Van Halen is my number seven. It, she's, you know, I mean, these guys, their first six records. Uh, I know not Van Hagar. So well, I mean, even with Sammy, they were still pretty good. But those first six, six records with David Lee Roth from Van Halen 1 to Women and Children First, Fair Warning, Diver Down in 1984, uh, just hit after hit after hit after hit. I mean, the first time that anybody heard Eruption, that Eddie Van Halen broke that thing out. And, and now, you know, tapping and all that stuff on guitars and making your guitars sound kind of like keyboards is commonplace. But when Eddie did that the first time, no one had really heard anything quite like that. And I mean, they just from from songs like Running with the Devil to Pretty Woman to Panama to Jump and everything in between, you know, another band that broke up. I mean, literally broke up at the height of their powers. 1984 was just a tremendous record. And then everything just fell apart. And yeah, I like the stuff with Sammy. I, I like the stuff with Sammy as well. But but it can't compare to those first six records that they dropped when they, it was David, Eddie, Alex and, and, and Michael Anthony. Um, Jesus, that that band just—I mean, what a massive influence on me. So I—I I don't know how you guys feel about them. Never, never was my eh. cup of tea, exactly. Eh. But I mean, I, right. I can understand the, their music and their popularity, but it wasn't necessarily I, in my genres. <laughs> I always think it's funny how I always revert to like filmed entertainment because for me, I think of a Saturday Night Live skit uh, where David Hyde Pierce was hosting, and he's a. Uh, He's an English teacher having them do poetry and Adam Sandler in desperation to get an A quotes jump as his, his poem. And he <laughs> thinks he's fooled the teacher until the teacher walks out with another one. He's like, Oh, how'd it go? And the teacher's like, Oh, well I had some of this music and this music. Oh, and this other guy brought out Van Halen today as they walk to the hallway to go on. So everybody's in on the joke. Well, it's all about, I mean, it's all pop culture for me, Dave. Okay. That that's fine. I just I, I love I love Van Halen just because Eddie was so fucking talented, man. And just, uh, you know, a guy who really took guitar and, and put it to the next level. 
my number six is generally regarded as kind of like the fathers of heavy metal and the band that really pushed that whole movement forward. And that's Led Zeppelin. Uh, geez. I mean, those guys, another band that, that broke up, ha- had to oh, stop. Oh, 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 the fingers oh, up. Okay, Mine higher. Nope. My number six as well. So go ahead, Dave. Oh, oh <laughs> look at that. Awesome. DP. How about that? Um, that's that that you couldn't even plan you'd think we planned it wink wink (laughs) but we didn't how does that work uh another band that i mean these guys were on top of the world when john bonham fucking drank himself to death in in a tragic tragic situation but geez you know if you do a most people will tell you you do a poll of a lot of people stairway to heaven is generally regarded as what the greatest song of all time and structurally speaking when you it gets a bad rap because it's imitated so many times what's the first song you learned on guitar stairway to heaven right after smoke on the water is what's stairway to heaven wayne's world no stairway yeah. denied no stairway denied, denied. <laughs> there's another movie that needs to be added to a poll sometime uh but i mean they 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 were they weren't so much like radio friendly as they were just like a, a different sort of sound and, and just the song structure and their lyrics. We get back to lyrics. There's so many lyrics like uh, talking about shit from Lord of the Rings, heavily influenced by Tolkien. Yeah. And, and Ramble On. Ramble like On, one of my favorite songs of all time. Ramble On is just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that in, uh, didn't they do a song Riverdale, right? I mean, I, I think that's from Led Zeppelin 1 or 4. I don't. There's so many good albums. A whole lot of love yeah. and and heartbreaker and stairway to heaven and black dog and just even the later stuff like all of my love when they kind of started to experiment with little sort of different sounds and i mean they were so heavily influential on so many people and like you talk about bands that people wanted to get back together and i remember the one time that they did do that at live aid which of course is also synonymous with another band that i know we're going to talk about later on but um their performance wasn't as good as that band of course but getting them back together on the stage at JFK stadium for live aid was a massive moment in that whole event um, because they really haven't gotten back together so much since then. I mean, I know Jimmy page is still around. Robert Plant's voice isn't what it was, but geez, yeah, Led Zeppelin for me is just a, a massive influence, a huge band. Uh, the, the pioneers of heavy metal in many ways wrapped in with really intense lyrics. And all four of those guys were so talented yeah, DP, add whatever you yeah. want to it, my friend. I'll just add Robert Plant's. Yeah, the the voice of Robert Plant is just fantastic. He's just got one of those one of those good voices that you could just listen to him sing whatever he wanted to, and it's just it's gonna sound good. And I think it was a, one of the solo albums, the breakout ones that he did called Rainbow. There was a song called Rainbow yeah. that I got to see on. It was a concert on. I can't remember what channel it was on or whatever, but it was a concert we got to watch on TV, and it was him doing that song, and everything was just. God, it was so good. He's just so talented. Yeah, they had good spinoffs. Like Robert was with the Honey Drippers, which was pretty good. Jimmy Page was with uh, Robert Palmer and The Firm. That band's underrated as fuck, The Firm. Uh, so there were some really good stuff that came out of Led Zeppelin. I, I mean, John Paul Jones didn't do much that I know of. And, and John's, John Bonham, one of the best drummers of all time. Um, his son, Jason, no slouch as well. I know he filled in a few times, but it never was the same, nor would you expect it to be. Yeah, I um, Zeppelin's just off my list, and 
the reason Zeppelin's just off my list is because there was always an eternal debate between a band that is on my list and a band that is not on my list as to who was better at the time. And I chose the other band as, as my preference for a multitude of reasons. If, if for no other reason than I had their albums growing up and I didn't have Zeppelin, if that makes sense. And so that became the band that I know and, and love. And so that, that is why Zeppelin is not on my list, though you have to appreciate everything that they've brought to the table. And, and again, we talk about influence, we talk about history. For the love of God, they're getting a renaissance of, of sorts just because of their prominence in the movie Thor Ragnarok. Yes. You know, immigrant immigrant song plays a yeah. huge role in that movie and is, is a very much a strong focal point. So Taika Waititi, obviously a big Led Zeppelin fan as well. So my number six, and then we're actually um, going to take a little pause here for a moment and, and we'll bring Jim in. We're going to do things a little bit differently, calling an audible. Uh, Ooh, and then we'll so reveal our top five after the interview. We're going to do our top five after the interview. We'll do the break after afterwards. We'll do our interview with Jim and then we'll come back for our, our, our wrap it up. But my number six is a band that's uh, relatively recent and again, just a band that I find to be extremely talented, Florence and the Machine. Uh, one of the best, what, I, I don't know if the best, but one of the more interesting live music experiences I've ever experienced. And the, again, it's just such a unique sort of sound that is very strong and heavy and powerful with this commanding lead singing voice, this deep, beautiful voice that when you hear come from Florence is the most high pitched airy thing in the world when she speaks. And that it blew my mind. Like you'd hear her sing like the dog days are over. And then she talks to be like, hello, how is everyone? And I was like, who are you? Where does that voice come from out of this little person? Uh, but I just, I love all of their music. I love um, kiss with a fist is one of my favorite songs by that band and they can listen to it over and over and over again uh, a lot of people know shake it off that's usually what they play is their their encores with uh, again another terrific terrific tune and uh, of i think a very great experience both live and, and through studio albums so that was my number six i don't know if you guys have any thoughts about florence and the machine uh but i i mean i like them yeah sure Absolutely. I, I like them. This I, is one of those that I would say is definitely one of my go-tos. Like when I, when I want to just hear music in the background, Florence and the Machine, I will play on shuffle. I'll just pick the artist, shuffle the whole library and let it go. And I, it's, I, it's just music that I can get behind. I got to say, Patrick, your first five are just like, they're all over the place. John Denver, Florence and the Machine, some Celtic band and Bruno Mars. It's like, wow. That, that band is called Great Big Sea. Sir, Newfoundland, sea. Newfoundland fishing sea shanties, sir. All right, uh, and I challenge you to listen to a, the tune "John Barber" by Great Big Sea. All right, and, and not get behind them. I love them very, very much. I, but, I love, I love music, so I'll, I'll listen to just about anything. You know. So that'll do it for our first five here. We're gonna go into our commercial break now. Get our interview on. We've got Jim Ryan. Don't want to take up, you know, don't want to take away too much of his afternoon. Uh, and so when we come back after paying the bills, 
you're going to get uh, an interview with Jim Ryan from Forbes. Talk to us about the live music scene, kind of what's happening out there in the world. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on thechairshot.com, part of the Chairshot Radio Network. Why should you visit thechairshot.com? Thechairshot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Hey folks, listen up, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Pins, stickers, illustrations. angrylemonade.net. This is my yard now. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. And welcome back, fellow basement dwellers. This is your good friend, Patrick O'Dowd. Thank you for listening to the Sweet Velvet Pites of one Christopher Platt, running for president, by the way. I don't know if you guys heard that or not, but he's apparently he's, he started a campaign with, with him and Belaz. It's my uh, vote. Platt 2020. There are not strong options right now for, for our presidency, but... Enough about that. We are we have achieved guests, which is always an exciting thing. Stealing that uh, phrase from the Greg DeMarco show, we have an old, old friend of mine uh, from my college days over at the lovely Eastern Illinois University. Uh, I know him now as a contributor to Forbes magazine. Um, I don't know if it's actually a magazine or if it's just a website anymore. But Jim Ryan. Uh, is going to take has taken a little bit of time out of his day to talk to us today about music and the music scene. Jim, welcome to Bandwagon Nerds. Thanks for uh, having me, Pat. I'm excited. I- I'm glad to have you. I'm glad that uh, I'm going to share this story. I was a little <laughs> I was a little trepidatious because I wasn't sure how. Um, so, guys, uh, Jim and I have some pre-existing heat, as they say in the wrestling business. <laughs> oh boy! Um, about a decade ago, I welched on a bet with Jim Ross. <laughs> That's, uh, well, yeah, that's true. And there's it's been no restitution, by the way, so I don't know how we can say it's been a decade ago. It's ongoing, yeah. lingering. It's it, still it a thing. Yeah, I think I owe him basically an old-style beer factory <laughs> at this point. <laughs> this when I when cool. I, when I made bet, uh, I made a bet against Jim, banking on my St. Louis Blues succeeding in the in the hockey playoffs, and, and that was a mistake because that's, that's when the Blues don't win hockey games in the playoffs. <laughs> I can't say that anymore. We we did win the cup finally. That was a that was a big day for for me. Did I did I suck it up and congratulate you at least uh, upon that? I don't remember. No, no, oh, man. Really? No, nah, well, I mean, we lost we lost touch, and, and I, I was I was sharing this with the guys before we went on the air. How um, I forgot that you didn't know that my Twitter name was different than my actual name. <laughs> this is true. And so and so when I was hitting you up for the podcast, you were like you 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 kind of big timed me a little bit. I was like, well, I got to listen to it first. And I was like, okay, that's fair. And I didn't even connect that, that Jim, that you hadn't, um, that you didn't know that that was me. And then when you messaged, you were like, is this Pat, uh, not Patrick O'Dowd, but the other name, 
I was like, yeah, this is. And you're like, oh, geez. And, and we actually spent a good time catching up about, you know, Eastern Illinois University and all that stuff. It's so funny because over over the last couple of years when, when you would retweet my wrestling stuff, I had no idea it was you. I'm like, oh, cool. And it, it took about two seconds into to listening to one of the podcasts. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, I know who this is. This is hilarious. <laughs> it was. It's and my you're still, yeah, thank you're you. still willing to come on the show? That's <laughs> That's impressive. Hey. <laughs> So, Jim, just to kind of get us get us kicked off a little bit, uh, one, fellas, Jim has led what I would say is what our dream best lives would be because he, he's met everybody we would probably hope to meet someday in the wrestling biz. If Correct me if I'm wrong, Jim. You've met Ric Flair, right? You've interviewed Rick? It's, it's funny. I was just talking uh, to somebody about this because Ric Flair, yes, was in person, and it was the last interview I did prior, prior to the pandemic because I interviewed Rick about South by Southwest and about 20 minutes away from the interview, South by Southwest got canceled. So it was me walking into the hotel lobby and talking to Rick and his wife who were expressing their excitement about heading to Austin, Texas, where I was like, yeah, about that. Uh, hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but um, <laughs> you're, you're not going to be going to South by Southwest. And they're like, what happened? And I'm like, well, they canceled it about 20 minutes ago. And here we are. <laughs> right now. So, why don't you just for the sake of our listeners, give us a little background about yourself. How did you end up uh, in the career that you were in? Cause I know, I mean, I've followed you uh, throughout the years. I've seen you do a lot of writing, but I just kind of take us on the path of, of how you got to where you are now. Well, I, I'm going to tell you a quick Ric Flair story to, to finish oh, that because excellent. so I, I tell him that South by Southwest is canceled and his wife can't believe it. Um, you guys are all wrestling fans, right? Mm. Yes, yeah, sir. just just, yeah, we, are just of, we are part of a wrestling radio <laughs> network. See, when I when I tell people this story, nobody nobody is familiar with who Ric Flair's wife is. Do you guys know? Yeah, it's Fifi. Okay, so nobody when I try to explain to people the like that who Fifi is from the Flair for the Gold segments, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh but, no! So I start explaining to Fifi that South by Southwest is canceled, and Rick is getting really excited. He, we're in the hotel lobby and he's, he's wooing, right? And every now, everyone in the lobby, everyone in the hotel bar is notices that Ric Flair is there. So like, like a group assembles. And uh, I finally look at him like, why, what is, what is he wooing about? We haven't even started talking. And he looks at me and goes, he goes, it's Jim. And I go, yeah. And he goes, Jim, let me tell you something. I love Texas as much as the next guy, but if we're not going to Austin, we're going to Turks and Caicos. Woo! And he lets off this huge thing. So he was excited that he didn't have any commitments in South by Southwest because it instead meant he was going to be on a beach. So that's my Ric Flair story. <laughs> but uh, how I got into music, um, Pat, you and I went to Eastern Illinois uh, in the late uh, 90s. And I started writing there. I had written in high school and wrote uh, wrote for some of the zines when they were when they were still a thing, uh, you know, before before all that moved online. Um, kind of the, the long and short of it is I, I write locally here in Chicago for the Daily Herald newspaper. I write for the Tribune Company blog site Chicago Now. And then, of course, I write for Forbes as well. So it's been about, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years of, of covering kind of the changing trends in the music industry now. So with that, what's been the biggest impact to, to the music industry? I, I mean, I think it's, it kind of goes without saying. And we're going to talk a little bit about your piece that, that just got published uh, what, two days ago, I do believe, on the 10th. Yeah. Um, but how has this pandemic really impacted impact mu- our music industry and the artists that, that put that music out, those content providers? 
Well, to, to kind of to kind of answer that question, even prior to the pandemic, the biggest change the music industry has experienced is obviously the rise of the internet as the primary means of you know consumption of music for people. Because what that led to, of course, is the fact that nobody buys albums, nobody buys CDs, right? Um, so it's harder than ever for artists to monetize recorded music, even when they had terrible one-sided contracts with greedy labels. They at least you know there were some pennies trickling in. Now that's not the case. Um, Streaming rates are really low. Artists don't make a lot of money on it. Songwriters in particular make virtually nothing off streaming. So we're already in this place where artists have had to figure out other ways to make money. And the primary way that they've come up with is touring. Bump up the ticket price a couple, a little bit. You know, you hang up by the merch table, sign stuff for people. It's it's a way to move move merchandise, actually sell merchandise and make some money there. Plus it does bump up your streams. You know, when people see a good show, they, they, they meet hopefully a friendly artist. So that's kind of the way artists have pivoted to make money. They make all their money off touring. So fast forward where we are here the last four months and touring for the foreseeable future is off the table amidst the pandemic. So not only can artists no longer make money selling albums, you know, cause here we are where they've got time, right. And they actually have a captive audience for the first time in a long right. time, you, you have people listening to more than just a single, right? They might actually want to dive into an album and consume it in full, which hasn't been the case for 20 years, but can't make money off the albums. And now you can't tour, which makes it harder to sell merch. So it's it's become this thing yeah, in the last four months for artists. And there's that trickle down effect too, because you've got your bartenders, you've got your all your employees working at independent venues that have been closed and will be the last to reopen. Your sound technicians, your roadies, your audio people, your video guys, it's kind of that butterfly effect all across the board of people who are impacted by, you know, literally no work for the last four months and no real timetable on when or if that will return. So that's kind of where we're at. So that, that makes it sound totally like I um, should become a musician. Like now's the time to start. Is that what's, is that now, now's the time to start as, as somebody who, who went, who came up through radio and watched that fall apart and moved to print journalism and watched that fall apart and, you know, figured live music is going to be okay. <laughs> yes. I think you should. I mean, do you, do you see a lot of that happening with, with, you know, bands kind of falling apart, kind of like businesses are, are dropping, you know, because they can't make any money basically because they're not open. And now that now, if you're not making any money streaming and now you can't tour, do we, do we see a lot of, you know, do we end up finding, you know, less music out there because there's no new bands starting up and then losing a lot of these bands because they can't make any money? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think um, a lot of bands initially pivoted to the online streams to, you know, to perform live from their living room via Facebook live or Instagram live or YouTube or or whatever, um, you know, the preferred method is of doing it. But, the question mark there became, do you charge for these things? Um, there's a website called stage it that bills themselves as an online venue. So, so bands can come in and sell tickets to these online streams instead of just doing it for free on Facebook. And I think that's gotten some artists through a little bit right now. Personally, for me, it, it lacks the, the edge and the unpredictability that's made the live concert so attractive to me for, you know, for decades now, I don't really get that from a li- acoustic living room performance, but I think it's allowed some artists to at least make a couple of bucks during this. The question is, is that, um, you know, can you continue to do that here for the foreseeable future? And the answer to that is probably no. Well, yeah, part of going to, you know, part of going to concerts, I mean, is that that group mentality and everybody there because they love the music and all singing along and, you know, 
yeah, the band's kind of being able to riff and do random things. And, you know, some of the parts I loved about concerts I went to is, you know, they, they riffed on different songs that weren't even theirs and, you know, or like drum battles that would happen that you're not going right. to get when you can watch it online. It's just not the same. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting time for sure. So as Pat was kind of referring to some artists have tried to find alternative ways to safely, you know, play during this. Uh, there's been some stories about artists who have thrown all caution to the wind and have not been safe in any way. Great white is the one that's been uh, surfacing all morning. I guess they, they performed last night uh, to a crowd of like 2000 and nobody was wearing masks. There was no social distancing. It looked just a little frightening. So the question is, <laughs> is there a way to do it without doing that? Uh, in local H, please, please Chicago. Tell you... in, please tell me it was in Florida. <laughs> I'm assuming right. it was probably in Florida. <laughs> Florida, Florida band, as opposed to Florida man. Once right. bitten, twice shy. Apparently, <laughs> yes. But um, so the question is, how do you do it safely? And in local H, if you remember local H, uh, a Chicago alternative duo from the '90s, they had they had kind of fleeting success there in the major label system. Um, had had one big hit with Bound for the Floor, got some success in MTV. They had one gold record, but they've hung around ever since. They never went away, and they put on two concerts at a drive-in theater. So they capped it not by the number of tickets sold. They capped it by the number of vehicles allowed in. And then all of the vehicles, as you can imagine, at a drive-in theater were socially distanced about, you know, about eight feet away is I think what it was. So what you had was small socially distanced groups who traveled in that vehicle, maybe four or five people distance about, you know, eight or 10 feet apart. There was a lot of masks. Um, uh, this was two weeks ago when I was kind of watching the numbers for that county. There hasn't been a spike so it does appear that it was done safely. It was pulled off safely. And they did it 100% independently. They did it themselves. They hired somebody to come in and build the stage. They hired sound technicians to come and do this. They hired a videographer. And the band sound checked for four hours to make sure all of this stuff was going to work. It wasn't that situation where you work with a giant promoter like Live Nation who puts this all together and you show up and play. It wasn't that. The band did 100% of this themselves. And I think in the process, kind of maybe if you're willing to put in the work provided a blueprint for bands and how you can safely perform and make a couple of bucks during this without being Metallica. Right. Do you, do you feel like with the pandemic and bands not touring that that might lead to the creation of new content, you know, new music coming out uh, where bands are like, look, we can't tour. Let's, let's work on a different album. I know we can't all be together, but we can at least, get some songs written and get a, a, a foundation before we can get back in the studio. Yeah. And I, and I think local H has been not to keep coming back to them, but I think they've been a, a perfect example of how to do this because in addition to speaking with the singer on site at the concert, I spoke with their manager as well, who was kind of, you know, in charge of coming up with the plan on how you were going to do this and how you're going to put it together. And it started at the end of March when local H was on at the beginning of March, when local H was on tour with soul asylum, another 90s alternative man. And the last three dates of that concert tour got canceled because of the pandemic that it had started in January. So they were fortunate, at least that only the last couple of dates were impacted, but their manager saw the writing on the wall right away. He's like, this is, this is going to be where we're at for a while. So it became a thing of, they had a new album that was supposed to be released in April. A lot of artists have been postponing that stuff, which personally I think is kind of a mistake. You actually have a captive audience who, you know, might be interested in listening to an album in full, might be interested in buying an album at this point. Um, Local H went ahead and released theirs anyway in April. So they had a new album to promote and they created a ton of unique content for that. They were doing not just living room live streams. They were actually taking people in and on Facebook Live, just 
putting out there for free their rehearsals from their rehearsal space. So you kind of, they were kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit, so to speak. They were at least finding a unique way to present to these live streams because everyone's doing a live streams, right? The question is amidst all that clutter now and all that content, how do you make it stand out? And I think they kind of found a way to do that. So to answer your question, yes, there's live music. And in addition to that, they have created all of this content around it, you know, new meaningful videos with celebrity cameos. They had Michael Shannon, an Oscar winning actor in one of the videos. Uh, they had Juliana Hatfield, another 90s alternative artist uh, in one of the videos. And so they've kind of found a way to, you know, make the, make sure that what they're doing right now stands out. And, you know, it's as Scott Lucas, the singer kind of put it, it's a rare silver lining of everything that's happening. It's allowed them to further engage their audience and really kind of expand upon that connectivity and, and build that bond during a difficult time. So to go back to the concert uh, that you, that you covered, it, you mentioned it was a couple of weeks ago. It was unique in comparison to some of the other drive-in things we've seen, right? And that the band was actually there and performing. How right. did they utilize the space? Because there, were there, were there were like multiple screens and some things. I know you, you mentioned a couple of different things that they did to make the experience kind of special. Yeah, this was, so, I mean, you have, you have artists like Keith Urban did one in a drive-in theater. Garth Brooks has done it. Um, Blake Shelton just announced uh, that he's doing it. But the thing about Garth Brooks and Blake Shelton is that they're performing, but they're not performing at the drive-in theater you're at. You're sitting there just like you were watching Jaws because you're watching a video of the concert film on the screen. The artist isn't actually there performing. Uh, they were charging 100 to $115 a carload, which Garth Brooks has his reputation as the everyman, right? And during a pandemic amidst record unemployment, you're charging you're charging these people $115 a carload to watch a movie. <laughs> that seems a little ridiculous to me. So what I think differentiated the local H experience was it was a twin screen drive-in theater. So across this large field, you've got a screen at either end. The band performed on a stage underneath one screen. Uh, Scott Lucas, the singer of local H, he's written about film for a website called Chicago. So he's a he's a huge movie guy anyway. So he created a whole presentation um, of famous film scenes. I, I caught Jaws, Vanishing Point was in there, um, Eat My Dust with Ron Howard. But he created this whole thing that ran above them on the screen of, of famous film scenes, the duration of the three-hour concert they did. Each night they did three hours, so they were long shows. But above the band, you had these famous film scenes. And then across the field on the up other screen, you had a shot of the band actually performing. So they utilized both screens. You know, if you were in, if you had one of the VIP packages, which were the vehicles parked closest to the stage, you could actually see the band performing. If you were parked at the back, you were not going to see the stage, but you were also closest to the screen that was presenting the band in performance. Uh, they had a great sound system in there. It was, it was loud. I was, as far as an experience, I, I was afraid that it was going to be depressing, that I was going to go in there and go, man, I really hope this isn't the new norm. But uh, at least for the time being, if that's the way we have to do it, they certainly put in the effort to create a unique experience by utilizing both of those screens and really curating something that whether you're a music fan or a film fan, I think resonated. Now, were there any sort of hitches or anything that they had to adjust to? I mean, I think you mentioned they sound checked for, for four hours. Yeah. Were the, were, like the concert itself, though, it sounds like it pretty much went off without a problem. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, the hiccups that were there were really minor. Um, so they were running they were running the video package that uh, they put together these film screens. Um, I don't know if it was internet lag or cause we were in not to say in the middle of nowhere, but we were two and a half hours outside Chicago in a very rural area called Gibson city. Um, oh, I know Gibson city. <laughs> I figured you might actually be aware of it, but um, 
so there was you would you would occasionally see the spinning dot on the screen as as the as the video caught up and loaded. So to me, that's a minor a minor thing. Um, that was about the biggest hiccup that really they had in the performance. But yeah, the drummer for the first hour and a half of that four hour sound check would sit there banging on his drum kit one piece at a time as someone on the other end of the field underneath the second screen, because that was causing echo. The sound was blasting out across the field and coming right back off that other screen. Um, they they kind of worked for four hours to eliminate that echo and eliminate the lag, because as you can imagine at a drive-in theater, this was all broadcast via FM radio. So if people wanted to stay in their vehicle safely and knock it out, you could listen to it on FM. They also had to try to work real hard to eliminate any lag or any delay so that that broadcast was as synced up as possible with what was actually happening in real time on the stage. So it was, there was a lot of effort uh, which went into it. And like I say, the whole thing was 100% independent. Um, what I know they were real proud of was the fact that all these people who've been out of work, T-shirt printers, sound technicians, security, bartenders, all these people got to work for two days, including the artists who, you know, haven't been able to perform. So it was, you know, I think there were, in a lot of ways, it was a big success. And like I say, it felt safe, which seemed to be of major concern for everybody involved, thankfully. I think you answered this question a little bit, but how did everybody do with, like, kind of staying in their car and keeping that social distance as well, you know, as opposed to, you know, getting out of the cars and kind of clumping together, you know, because that's got to be the biggest <laughs> issue. Yeah, there was there was a point early on about a half hour into the show where people presumably at the back where you couldn't see the stage had started to creep closer and closer and started to assemble in small uh, groups in front of the fa- in front of the stage where it was noticeable, you know, because the closest vehicle was parked a good 20 or 30 feet away from the stage. If you, if you look at my Forbes piece, there's actually a shot from a drone looking down on the whole thing. So you can kind of see perfectly where the stage is in relation to the vehicles. But uh, Scott Lucas, the lead singer did have to admonish that group uh, early on. And he said, you know, we need to, we need to be safe. We need you to be loud. We need you to be vocal and be supportive. But the reason we're doing this at a drive-in theater with, you know, this image projected on a giant screen is to avoid exactly what's happening right here. So please go back to your vehicles and be as safe as possible. And, and, Luckily, that was an announcement he only had to make once the half hour into the three hour set. It didn't it didn't happen again. But certainly, certainly that's a concern. Yeah. So we're not going to get any mosh pits uh, during the pandemic is what you're saying. <laughs> I, I talked to a fan who um, a hardcore fan who was lined up at one thirty gates opened up at six o'clock. This guy was parked first because he was concerned about getting the closest possible parking spot. And uh, when I said to him, you know, what is it about local H that you're here four and a half hours early in 95 degree heat sitting here waiting for the gates to open at a drive-in theater? Um, he said, you know, it's going to be a unique experience, but I'm really concerned about the fact that there's not going to be a mosh pit. How do you do a concert at, for local H with no mosh pit? And yeah, to answer your question, it was uh, there was no mosh pit. It's <laughs> a demolition derby. Maybe, maybe, I think that's, that's what like, you got to do then, right? There Start you go. smashing cars. Seriously, there's, there's going to be a lot of personal mosh pits. Okay, you guys are over here. You're in your own car. Mosh your brains out. And over here, there's another one. And you can't cross the streams. But, you know, it, it's welcome to 2020. It's a strange so, time for sure. Yeah. Right. So, so Jim, you kind of talked about how Local H provided a little bit of a blueprint while we're in this this period that we're in right now with the pandemic and, and folks you know, just trying to find avenues and ways to perform in front of live audiences. When, whenever, what, 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 I don't know when this magical date will happen. Do you see a lasting impact on live performance 
after this pandemic sort of resolves and and, and how do you see it changing because i think uh like a lot of the things that i used to follow you and see that you would do is you would attend festivals for example right two you know one two three day full-on events thousands of people maybe two or three stages just crowds all around right does that go away like what happens next i'm scared it goes away you know that's uh yeah, I mean, 90,000 people in a field, um, <laughs> pretty tough to keep them six feet apart. So hopefully this isn't the new reality. Hopefully we, we do, you know, get some resolution and, and slowly return to normal. But um, yeah, the festivals, you know, there's there's two areas I think are going to be extremely impacted, at least in the short term. I mean, we're seeing the festivals right now, right? There aren't in the summer. They've all been, you know, here in Chicago where I'm based. We host Lollapalooza, we host Riot Fest, we host, host the Pitchfork Festival, and they're they're all they've all been already pushed back to 2021, with the caveat being that from everything I keep hearing, it may not be till fall 2021 that we come back. So it's we're not looking at one summer of this; it might be two, <laughs> um, which is a little scary. But um, the uh, so the festivals get impacted, and then I think even at a more at a level, we can all kind of um, you know associate with a little closer is the, in, the small independent venues, you know, your, your small venues that maybe hold a thousand people, right. In Chicago, the Metro holds 12, 1200 people. And the number I keep hearing getting thrown around, if, if they're ever able to reopen um, safely would be, they might be allowed to host 200 fans in a venue. So you're already talking about the venue that's not making the most money. You know, the artist that's performing at a, a thousand seat venue is not making, you know, Pearl Jam, Dave Matthews money on the road. Right. So if you're if you're losing a thousand of your twelve hundred patrons, how does anyone make any money, right? How does the artist make money? How does the venue make money? And are you going to charge three hundred dollars for a ticket and thirty five dollars for a beer to offset that? I mean, it's not going to happen. It does. It certainly doesn't seem like a feasible thing. So my my concern, you know, is less for the festivals because they can probably sustain some of this with the you know level of the investment that's there. It's the independent small venues that I think are really. Right really kind of screwed by this whole thing. And, you know, they're going to be the last to reopen. And, and once they do, how do they, how does anyone make any money off of it? You know, it's not to say that should be the primary concern when you're talking about music and creation and art, but certainly at the end of the day, it is a business and it needs to be sustainable, which right now I think it's just a big question mark. And yeah. I'm, I yeah, think, be, you know, oh God, everybody talk about it. I mean, no, I mean, like you raise it. I know we're so, we're so professional. Like you raise a good point. I mean, out here in California, you know, you got places in LA like the Whiskey A Go Go, which has been right. around since the '60s. Yep. House of Blues, which always does concerts. I mean, those are that's not going to happen anytime for the foreseeable future. Which it, it, it's a it's a big hit for those venues and the intimacy of some of those settings. It's interesting you mentioned the House of Blues because here's here's my fear: House of Blues is Live Nation, which is the the giant, giant conglomerate that controls so many facets of the music industry. You have Live Nation owns venues, you know, at, at the smaller level, they own House of Blues. At the major level, they host, they own, literally own a ton of outdoor amphitheaters. In Chicago, they own what used to be the World Music Theater in Tinley Park. They own Alpine Valley in Wisconsin. These are 30,000 seat venues, but they also own those, you know, that thousand seat chain. The single place that they've well, in addition to that, they also they run the ticketing because they own Ticketmaster. They own outdoor billboards, so they control the advertising of these shows. Um, you know, they pretty much own the artist because Live Nation also owns these radio stations that spin the artist's music that promote the tours. So it's if you choose not to play ball with Live Nation, it becomes real difficult to do anything <laughs> in the music industry. My fear right now, as these independent venues struggle, 
that's the level, the small venue, that's the level Live Nation's never been able to compete at. They don't, they don't own, you know, that part of the concert industry. So as, as if we look ahead to, you know, a year or two years, as these, these small venues continue to struggle and start to crumble, my fear is we look ahead at a future where Live Nation is just licking their chops, you know, like the big bad wolf right now waiting for that to happen. So they can come in and create a new series of, of chain venues at different sizes, the 500 person chain, and we call it whatever. And it's the same cookie cutter thing across the country. Um, they've already got the house of blues chain. They've already, they've started to apply the Fillmore name. You, you had the Fillmore East and the Fillmore West, you know, those legendary Bill Graham venues in the, in the sixties, they own that name. Now they've already applied it in Detroit. They've applied it in Denver. I think they want to make that ultimately another chain across the country at a bigger size, say maybe 3000 people. So suddenly they, they own these venues at pretty much every level. So no matter what stature of a band you are, if you want to tour, you're going to be doing it through live nation. So that's, that's my fear. Um, looking into a crystal ball. If, if we're not able, if we start losing these independent venues, that's the future I fear. And right. Yeah. When you were, when you were talking there about just like, I, I think back to, and our connection is obviously from our college days. Like I think back to where we had the opportunity to be able to see live music and it was going to be, you know, maybe in Champaign, Illinois. Right. Or you know, Charles, you know, Charleston, Illinois, where Eastern Illinois University is like they didn't have anything like that. Like you had a couple of bars that did live music, but it was like a bar. Right. We maybe held like 100 people. If you wanted to go see anything, you went to Champaign and there's a lot of great places in Champaign that I could see going away or like you said, sort of falling under a different umbrella that would really change the scene for, for even those smaller communities. Well, I think maybe like you said, it's interesting with the college campuses, right? Maybe suddenly that takes on a whole new level of importance because that's, that's a guaranteed cross section of the country that live nation can never control. Those are going to be independent venues, right? Theoretically, if, if you're playing on campus, they're not, they're not owning, you know, uh, the assembly hall in Champaign, Illinois, right on, on the campus sure. of the University of Illinois. So maybe, maybe that presents, you know, maybe that takes on a new importance then because it's, it's at least, you know, some level of independence, at least, at least compared to, you know, the con- giant conglomerate that is Live Nation. Well, and I actually live about an hour and a half north of you there in the Milwaukee area, and I saw the Lakefront Brewing there. I'm a big yeah. fan. Yeah. Yep. And <laughs> yeah. I've uh, I've frequented Alpine Valley. I know you mentioned that one. I've seen probably ninety five percent of the concerts there, standing on that grassy hill. Sure, um, you know, listening to Godsmack or, or anybody like that, Three Doors Down, and all that. So, uh, you know, I, I worry about those as well. You know, and and Summerfests, you know, being canceled this year as well, being you know yeah. the biggest music festival and all the bands that they have those opportunities to play at at you know events like that that they're missing out on. And if we do go another year, they're you know, the big events as well kind of hurt, you know, and their monetary options for where they can play. I was pleasantly surprised last season that uh, Alpine Valley in rural East Troy, Wisconsin, which kind of draws it kind of you correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of draws people from Madison. It, it draws people from yeah. Illinois, draws people from Milwaukee. Um, but it's hard for artists to get to. Right. Like I, when that venue went dark in 2017, 2018, is that does that sound right? It's about right. Yeah. Stage any shows, it was for sale. I know it was for sale. Um, my my fear was at that point that that was going to go away because it's much easier for Live Nation to just transport people into Chicago or transport people into Milwaukee without driving, you know, on Highway County D um, 
through rural Wisconsin, but luckily it bounced back last season and they had a, they had a full summer slate, but here we are now they've, they've got to take yet another summer off and possibly another one next summer. So yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say what's going to happen to some of these venues. It's, it's just a big question mark all around. So, is there a big event that was, sorry, Patrick. Oh no, go ahead, Dave. Uh, Jim, is there a big event that was going to happen this summer that you're most disappointed to see go by the wayside? I'm, you know, unlike m- most most of the, the jaded music critics that I know hate the festivals. They hate the festival experience. <laughs> they don't want to stand in a, in a field for, you know, hours on end in 90 degree heat. I love the festivals because of the chan- fact that it gives me this opportunity to see, you know, bands all day long. Like Lollapalooza is a great example. I mean, I remember, I think in 2016, Paul McCartney was headlining. But early in the day, I got to see a very young, unknown Courtney Barnett at like one in the afternoon, it was just totally blown away. So it's, that's what I, what I miss this summer in terms of the festivals is that ability to see stuff, you know, really well, and you can celebrate that, but also that ability to or get there early in the day and, and discover stuff, you know, that you're going to know real well in a couple of years because festivals like Lollapalooza in, in particular are real good about, you know, finding talent you may not have heard yet and, and presenting it early in the day, giving some of these bands a chance to get on a big stage like that and figure out how to do it. Um, and then you can look back at that memory and go, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a Chance the Rapper here in Chicago. It's a great one. I remember seeing Chance the Rapper at Lollapalooza in front of about 50 people who didn't know who he was. And here you are now looking back, right? He's one of the one of the biggest artists that there is in the pop world. So it's those kind of experiences um, for me I will miss this summer about the festivals because I had a whole – I was going to travel and do more festivals than I've ever done. I was going to do Lollapalooza Pitchfork Ride Fest here in Chicago. For the first time, I was going to go up to Milwaukee for Summerfest. Uh, I was going to go to Telluride for the Telluride Blues and Brews Fest. Three weekends in a row, it was going to be Telluride, Toronto, and then Louisville for the Bourbon and Beyond Festival. So it was – I had a whole summer of festivals planned, and you know, here we are. It's wiped out pretty much. You could always come to Coachella and sweat. You know, that's a good time. <laughs> I have no problem with that. I want to do old cello. That's the one I wanted to do when, when Dylan and the stones and McCartney and all of, all those artists were out there. That would have, that would have been up my alley too. Well, since there's no concerts going on, you can uh, bring, take the short ride up to Milwaukee. I'll take you on the lakefront brewery tour. It's one of the best. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. Yes, you would. I, I remember <laughs> your enjoyment of fine craft beers. <laughs> so before, before we let you let you go, Jim, we have a couple of, uh, wrap up questions that we wanted to just throw at you and sure. you know we've been we've been kind of downer with like everything that's <laughs> going on. i just want i just want to be fanboy for yeah. a second i want Let's you to be it. fanboy for a second all right interview that got you like that you couldn't have believe this is the person you were interviewing ryan wilson yeah, Brian Wilson. I mean, music, music, you know, the word genius gets thrown around, right? But Brian Wilson is that. I mean, he's certainly that and not an easy person to interview. And I, and I knew that going in, but it was like right. just, just to hear right. that man on the other end of the phone was unbelievable. I, yeah, it's it's funny. We're sitting here. Um, part of what we're doing for our show today is we're doing our like top 10 musical acts. And, okay. and we're, we're through our first five on the back of the interview. We're doing our top five. I can't believe I left the Beach Boys off my list, <laughs> uh, and, and I and and that's the thing. And I freaking love the Beach Boys. Yeah, I, I know you. One of the they're, best. One of the best. My second, my second ten, Patrick. Just so you one know, of, one of my be- one of the best memoirs I've ever read in my entire life was Brian Wilson's memoir. Which one? Um, Which um, was it the, the controversial Doctor Landy one, or was it, he has two? I think. Oh God, I can't remember what the. I know it was written. It it jumped all over the place in terms of time. And he talked about that Dr. Sounds Dr. like him. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
It was the most recent one, like whatever the the most recent one that he released not too long ago. I mean, a couple years ago. He's such a fascinating guy on so many levels. I mean, when you oh, without a doubt, genius. You 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 think that he learned? I mean, so he came up when there was mono and stereo, right? You mono being you hear, you know, certain things in each in each side, whereas stereo you hear the same thing in both ears. And by virtue of the fact that he was beaten by his father and lost hearing in one ear, he learned to hear mono. Like he learned to only process sound in one ear. So when he went into the studio and started to become this recording genius, he was hearing what he was going to create on a, on a mono record. He was hearing it that way in his head. Like it's just crazy to, to think about, you know, so many of the ways that that guy, you know, functioned as, as the creative genius that he is. So we're going to put you on the spot. All right. Cause this is what we do. So I want you to give us one act we should be listening to that we aren't listening to. And I want you to give us one act that everybody listens to that we should stop. <laughs> okay. You should stop listening to the Eagles. Stop listening. <laughs> they suck. They're overrated. I can give you more of those. Stop well, listening here, to the Doors and Pink Floyd too. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off for a second. We <laughs> we do a we do a written movie review, right? Okay. Uh, every week for our website. This week we reviewed the Big Lebowski. Oh my god, I love that movie. Do you I hate, hate the I hate the fucking it's Eagles. A little long, <laughs> no, <laughs> get out of my camp. So, so Dave, Dave had never seen it until we made him watch it for the movie review. <laughs> and he was he was the most tepid of the three of us, as as DP and I ranked it very, very highly. Dave, how did you think about it after seeing it one time? Because to me, that's a film you have to see a lot for it to start to sink in. Because I don't think I loved it the first time I saw it. This, but is, I why, this is why Jim is brilliant already. And I can tell <laughs> because that's the exact same thing I put in my review, Jim, was that it feels like a movie you've got to see more than once to catch it all is. the nuances. It definitely I, is. You I need to watch it 200 more times, Dave. Yeah, I liked it just fine. But it, it, did, it did feel like, okay, I know I'm missing things here that, that are, are going to sink in once you watch it two and three times and I'd be willing to do that. And of course, Patrick, don't forget, you got to put Jim on the spot again in a few moments. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We, he's got a decision to make. He doesn't know it yet. He does. But he's got a decision I know. To make for us. By the way, band you should be listening to is, is a band called bully. Uh, it's a female, female fronted alternative trio out of Nashville. Uh, well, out of Minneapolis by way of Nashville, they're based in Nashville now. And the singer lived here in Chicago for a bit, but in the nineties, if you liked, Bands like Veruca Salt, for instance, some of the, the front alternative stuff, you would love the band Bully. Uh, they have a new album coming out. There's a couple singles up on uh, their Facebook page and on, I think, on all of the streaming services. But uh, Bully is fantastic. If, if they released their music 25 years ago as opposed to now, we'd they'd be huge. But instead, they're playing 300-person venues across the country and struggling, which is totally, totally unfair. All right. So are you ready for the biggest decision that you have to make for us. It sounds like I'm not, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> no, I, I, so what we do, I mentioned that we do this movie review, right? Okay. Um, and so what we do is we put up a poll on our Twitter page, uh, at bandwagon nerds, she plug, and we have folks vote <laughs> on four different movies. And this week we did John Hughes flicks. Okay. And after the first go around, we had a tie between two movies. So then we did a runoff. The runoff also ended in a tie. And so you <laughs> are going to be the deciding vote for okay. Bandwagon Nerds Nerd Review. All right. The the final two that we have are you get to choose between planes, trains, and automobiles. Okay. Or or vacation. Vacation. Absolutely vacation. vacation. Yeah. Really? All right. I need to hear a rationale here since I voted for planes, trains, and automobiles. Well, it, it, look, 
can I can I just say right off the top that it is amazing uh, to think that there was a time when Chevy Chase was funny. But that movie is evidence that there was such a time. It existed not all that long ago when Chevy Chase was a really funny human being as opposed to a complete and utter asshole. Um, (laughs) And if you're not familiar with these stories, Google Chevy Chase asshole because there are so – the internet is just populated with stories of other celebrities you know and love telling stories about what a horrible human being Chevy Chase is. But um, why do I like the movie? Um, I love the dynamic between Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Absolutely. And and who who can't relate to that idea of uh, the the quasi annoying yet endearing family road trip in a station wagon? Right. I mean, I think we've all been. Any one of our age, I think, has been there, right? <laughs> oh, totally. I I still remember the trip my family took to South Dakota to go to Mount Rushmore in, <laughs> in, in the family truckster from middle of nowhere, Illinois, all the way across the country, and we looped. We did like this big loop where we went through like Yellowstone Park and <laughs> and because we looped to go to St. Louis before heading back up to the Champaign-Urbana area. Uh, oh, two weeks of just stuck in a minivan. God, two, two weeks see, because we we would do six-hour trips in the station wagon to Minnesota for for fishing trips, and uh, six hours was long enough. I don't think I could. I don't think any of us would have lived through two two weeks. You would have found us, you know, dead somewhere on the road, a side of the <laughs> interstate highway in, you know, uh, Minneapolis, eh? Hey. And let, let's be honest, Christy Brinkley, come on, guys. I mean, yeah. we got we got to be honest about this. In her, in her prime. In her, yeah, her way in prime right there. <laughs> so, so there you have it, noble listener, as picked by Jim Ryan, our guest <laughs> today on the Bandwagon well, Nerds podcast. We I were doing vacation this week, which there are no losers in this poll. Honestly, no. these are both terrific movies. And the thing that I I'm actually excited about either one of these, as you mentioned, Jim, you know, vacation planes, trains and automobiles is pretty relatable too. it is like, like that whole, like I've been stuck in travel purgatory. Oh yeah. And that, that is just hell on earth. So, and Thanksgiving, that, um, the Thanksgiving element. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. So I totally noticed that, that about John Hughes movies too, that that's, that's biggest thing is, is road trips that go horribly wrong. Planes, trains and Dutch and a vacation. <laughs> and, you know, oh all, in so long. they're all about trying yeah. to get home in a disastrous fashion or something. I still what don't were, understand why we put Dutch on the pole. <laughs> what were the other movies? That was my idea. That was my call. <laughs> it was um, it was vacation planes, trains, and automobiles in Dutch because super fan the scientist over here DP <laughs> wanted it on there and weird science. And uh, one of the other guys in our and, it, and the problem was is was narrowing it down because we didn't want an obvious winner. You know what I mean? Like we we yeah. thought about putting like the Breakfast Club on there. We thought about putting Ferris Bueller's Day Off on there, but we knew it would be a runaway, and we wanted a we wanted a more challenging poll. Although now I'm not so sure any of it would be a runaway <laughs> based right, on this like, last one. Dutch is Ed O'Neill, right? That's yes. right. Yep. Ed O'Neill at a time where he was vastly underrated by 90% of the populace who hated who hated uh, married with children. Luckily, Modern Family, I think, has transformed that. But very underrated Ed O'Neill was at the time. Yeah, for sure. Is it is it wrong that one of my favorite roles of his is in the movie Blue Chips when he plays the uh, investigative <laughs> reporter on Nick Nolte? As long yeah, as yeah. I was going to say, yeah. as long as your favorite performance was not Nick Nolte or Shaq, I think you're fine. <laughs> no, no, no. Penny Hardaway Penny totally Hardaway. steals it. <laughs> All right. 
So, Jim, before we let you go, why don't you take a moment, tell folks where they can find you, read you, any, any sort of information you'd like to share out there to our listeners. Uh, all of my stuff is on Twitter, at Radio Jim Ryan. Um, most of what I've been writing lately during the pandemic has been for Forbes. I give them five to seven pieces a month, primarily artist interviews. Uh, not much in the concert review realm anymore, unless you're a local age fan. But um, if you search Forbes Jim Ryan, you'll find that. And I was Pat noted I do some wrestling stuff too. I had Ric Flair uh, ran down the AEW Revolution uh, pay-per-view a month and a half ago. Um, interviewed Jim Ross a couple times. So that's all up at Forbes. And in the pipeline here, I've got Pat. This is a good one. You might like this because you're an old soul. Uh, I interviewed Chubby Checker last week, who is celebrating the 60th anniversary of The Twist, which is insane. I didn't even know Chubby was still with us. Everyone says. And he's younger than I thought, too. He's only 78 because he was so young when this came out. Yeah. Wow. That is – yeah, I will totally look for that. That is terrific. So, Jim, I just want to say thank you so much for taking a little bit of time. Thank you for having me. I loved it. It was – it's always great to catch up with some old friends. Yes. And this was – wonderful, wonderful content for, for this show. I think that you made us all feel a lot smarter today <laughs> by just imparting your wisdom upon us and your experiences. So thank you. Thank you very much. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. Hopefully when there's real, you know, when, when right. we got a concert up and running and things going and um, I'll work on the deed to that old style factory. Soon. <laughs> yeah, see, you in 20, see you in 2022, Jim. Uh, yeah, I look for, I'll see you at a concert in 2037. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. All right. So that was Jim Ryan, uh, contributor to Forbes, amongst others, Daily Herald as well. Uh, guys, just it's it's crazy to think of what live music might look like after this is all said and done. Uh, yeah, I mean. Like, I, I hope it doesn't go away. Like, I, I really fear for the small venue. And Jim, I think, really alluded to to the crisis that's going on with those. Because I think about where I live. Like, I don't live nor- near a major city. And so a lot of the, even for, for me, the, the biggest opportunity I have to see live music right now is Northampton, Massachusetts, which has a couple of small venues that hold, you know, somewhere around a thousand or so folks. And are those places going to be able to survive? after this is all done if this doesn't and massachusetts is in better shape than others like that's the thing that's tough right now is we're in we're okay okay like i don't think we're great like i think i'm worried about this like the way the rest of the nation is acting how that's going to impact states that are in quote unquote better shape but can these venues survive and and what will it be like if they do well and we talked about the eagles or not the eagles alpine valley we talk, did talk about the Eagles. We talked about the Eagles, but talking <laughs> about Alpine Valley, it made I me think of another venue. Eagles, man. <laughs> that, you know, Alpine Valley was a huge, huge concert thing. Like I said, I've been, I all the concerts I've seen except for one have been at Alpine Valley, basically, because that was the place to go. You know, that was where all the big place, all the big people went to. You know, I saw Godsmack there and uh, uh, Dave Matthews and Zach Brown and Creed and Three Doors Down and you know, at all at the height of their popularities at that, you know, at that venue. And that could, that barely made it, you know, and was going under and then got bought out just before this pandemic happened. Right. You know, I mean, if place like that couldn't even make it, you know, before this, what, what does it say to these other smaller venues? You know, this other place called the Eagles ballroom downtown in Milwaukee, that's a huge place to go for concerts is very, very small. Uh, you know, I fear for that one as well, because that's where a lot of the, 
you know, I guess the bands that were popular and aren't, you know, don't pull the same, you know, amount of people, you know, at all their concerts, you'll, you'll go see them there now, you know, is that going to, how's that going to make it, you know, through something like this? And for like, for like me, I mean, I'm an hour and a half at most from Hollywood and there's a lot of history down in Hollywood, like the whiskey. We talked about whiskey, a go-go Roxy, Roxy theater in West Hollywood. Uh, you know, places like that with all that history and all the, you think about the bands who came through there and came up, Jimi Hendrix, the doors, even more modern bands like no doubt and things like that going through the whiskey and you know, yeah. How are they going to survive? Certainly not on alcohol sales alone. And you know, and you look, I'm like, well, as we're recording, you're watching the numbers coming in. What did Florida hit today? 15,000 in one day. I've seen the number of cases they're going through, you know, and we're talking, Disneyland, you know, very, Disney world, just rolling right. That's fucking stupid. Well, you've got that. You've got Texas, you know, you're hearing reports about hospitals being over full and California's and like a disaster. Arizona struggling. And, you know, it's it's so tough when we do these shows to not roll into how the pandemic impacts everything. But it really is. It impacts everything. And it's it's crushing to see what this has happened here. And, you know, without getting onto a political mountain here, our our way of of consumerism, our way of entertainment, what we know and understand that stuff is. It, it is irreparably harmed and i think changed forever and i don't think there's any denying it and what i what i can i concern myself with how how it survives when we finally do figure out what our new normal is because i don't think there's no back to normal it's what our new normal is and we haven't figured it out yet because we're still in the throes uh of this pandemic you know as states continue to increase so it's such a a such a cheerful way to wrap this interview and kind of put a cap on it. I, you know, I do, I love what Jim talked about in terms of, you know, local H finding, you know, finding a, uh, an outlet and an, an opportunity to create some live music. I hope other bands find similar outlets. So I can I tell you guys my local H story? Cause it's kind of your fun. local H story. Yeah. So like bound for the floor, which is the big song he mentioned, which is the one that they're best known for. This is a song like, it's like what in the late nineties just came out and this song came on and my buddy and I, this is before Shazam or Soundhound or anything like that existed. So you're listening to this song. It's like, God, this song is great. Who the hell sings this thing? And we kept trying to figure out who sang it and kept listening for it and, and never could find it. So I'm like on the East Coast driving back from the Gettysburg National Memorial. And the song comes on the radio in the middle of Pennsylvania. And I just pull over to the side of the road and sit there and wait until they recap the songs that they just played. That's how I finally figured out that local H played bound for the floor. I call my buddy up from, I'm in Pennsylvania. He's like, dude, here's who sings this song. And here's the name of the song. And you know, it wasn't anything like we thought the song was going to be named. Cause if you li- listen to the lyrics bound for the floor really isn't a prevalent part of the lyrics of that song. So that's my local H story. Kind of fun. Nowadays it'd be over in like a matter of seconds. Shazam. Okay. There it is. And that'd be it. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, let's bring it uh, back into our list. We got our top five to go now as we wrap up our music episode and we get back to the super definitive end-all, be-all list of greatest music acts of all time. With my number five, my number five is Miles Davis. And it was hard to pick an iteration of Miles Davis because when I think of influential people in the land of music, this man 
we, we talked about Brian Wilson when we were talking with Jim. Miles Davis is on the level of genius of a Brian Wilson. And the influence that he had over jazz, whether you're looking at Birth of the Cool, whether you're looking at the way that he adopted the the synthesizer and the the sound of the 70s and psychedelics and funk in Bitches Brew, which is one of my favorite all-time albums ever, which, by the way, two tracks, 48 minutes long, Bitches Brew is just, it's, it's an experience, guys. And as a, as a kid who played the trumpet growing up and in high school, to, to listen to his music and the way he played and the way he just commanded modal, he created modal jazz. Like that, that that form of jazz, like that was him. And he did it all from trios to big bands to his own sort of eclectic group of musicians. He got so many famous jazz musicians started. They worked with him and then went off to do their own thing. Miles Davis is just, is, he's phenomenal and how awesome and how beautiful his music was and so varied and adaptable he was. Two songs, 48 minutes. That's like making Tool his bitch or something. Oh, yeah. He he would show Tool all the way up. Uh, That's all I got. Like, I'm sorry. Like, Miles Davis, that's that's it. That's my number five. (laughs) I got to listen to more of him. So You Uh, should listen to more. Number five for me is Stone Temple Pilots. Nice choice. Yeah. This is, uh, yeah, the rest of these are pretty much in that same era coming up in my top five because that was... That was my wheelhouse, but nonstop, I, nonstop 90s with DPP. That's right. Yeah, and give me any 90s, 90s projects. 90s in. project coming early. <laughs> can I? Can I just tell you my stone? Well, I don't have a Stone Temple Pilot story necessarily, but it was the most surprising thing ever in my life. So when I went, I went to a uh, a festival, a music festival in Chicago called Rock Fest in the 90s, and there were four headlining acts, and one of them was Stone Temple Pilots, and. I will never forget that of all the groups that caught me off guard as the way the audience would act, the Stone Temple Pilots crowd was the one that startled me because the second they walked on stage, the music had not hit the entire crowd that had rushed up front and center for STP straight into a mosh. And I thought I was going to die. Just, just bodies everywhere. And it was weird because the other the other top acts were it was Metallica, Kid Rock, Stone Temple Pilots, and then a late fill in band, the Bare Naked Ladies. One of these <laughs> nice. one of these Sad. acts is not like the others, but Stone Temple Pilot most intense audience out of the whole show. That's pretty nice. surprising when it comes to, with Metallica on that on that card. Yeah, that's really surprising. Right. Yeah. Anyway, Metall- I didn't mean to steal your Stone Temple Pilots Thunder DP. No, that's 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 fine with me. That you know that that's what you know that's losing Scott Weiland just a handful of years ago too was just was yeah. brutal and it really sucked because that's yeah this was and this is one I missed out on. I would have really loved to actually see them in concert. Kind of would have been fun, but and then the the Purple album for me is one of those that probably makes my top ten of you know we talked about albums from start to finish that are just so great. You know that one with Pretty Penny and Vaseline are, are is just those are some of my favorite songs of all time. So it's just awesome to, to be able to listen to that one all the way through. At the that first time show. Oh, go ahead, Dave. 
Now, the first time I heard STP, when I heard sex type thing the first time, I could have sworn it was Alice in Chains. And then when I found out that it wasn't, and and then and years later, I mean, I like STP like 20 times more than Alice in Chains. And I like Alice in Chains just fine, but STP is a totally different. Like songs like Creep, uh, you know, um, Lady Picture Show is one of my favorite songs by like them. Like Tripping on a Hole in a Paper Heart is one of my favorites. Yeah. That one's really good. Yeah. And, uh, and sex type thing is still one of my favorite songs. Yeah. For some reason, the last the last course where they play it twice has some big impact. On me. I don't know why. I, at that same concert, it, it was the only time that same festival. It's the only time I've ever seen a live musical lead singer uh, performer do the whole Chicago. Wow. Thing. He literally did that into the microphone. He was high as a kite. Uh, for that, Scott, no, I know, shocking, right? Uh, and everything he did, I loved him in Velvet Underground too. But yeah, oh god, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that was another one. And that—that's one with Slash, right? Yeah, yeah, we do Slither and um, Fall to Pieces, man. Fall to Pieces, pieces. Jesus, what a song, man. Uh, my number five, we're just gonna skip it because I know for a fact it's higher on Patrick's list and it's Queen. So we're, yeah, we're going to be higher. coming back. We're going to be coming back to that one. Uh, my number four is the Beatles. I don't know if that's higher on anybody else. I mean, the Beatles, I mean, are just a talk about a band that you watch their evolution from what they started out, which was just very pop friendly and just the British invasion taking over the United States. And then where they kind of evolved to, like, if you look at the Beatles collection, they got that, that red album, which is the collection of the stuff that leads up to right about, the time that Sgt. Pepper came out and then the blue album, which is much more mature, much more advanced musically a DP's pulling something out. There's the, ma- yeah, like there's the yeah. two. That's exactly <laughs> what they look like. And, and the difference between the music on the one to the other, the red one is much more pop friendly. And the blue one has got, you know, Lucy in the sky with diamonds, the Sgt. Pepper stuff. Uh, right. You know, they're just, uh, I think they're underrated as hell by a lot of people. I know well, they get, Go ahead. I don't know how you could forget that band. It was so influential on everybody. Well, here's what there's so many things that blow my mind about the Beatles and it's, you know, and it is criminal. Like, this is why personal lists versus like, if you were to ask me, like, who's the most, you know, who are the most influential acts of all time? The Beatles are, in my opinion, number one, they're still number one. And what blows my mind about the Beatles is you look at their history. They were together for basically a decade. And that was it. And they started making music when they were in their like, like Paul McCartney was in his teens when they were making music. They finished when they were 30. And, and that's what it, and it's just crazy to see the amount of output that they put out there as the band started to go in different directions. The experimentation that they did and and just the different like what they were able to show that they can do musically over over a decade is just unbelievable and still to this day people listen to their music and find new stuff whether oh, it's God, listening yeah. to eleanor rigby whether it's you know rubber soul is one of my favorite albums ever like i love listening to rubber soul i can pop that in dude the just, the, the white album is for me that sure. is one of the all-time great al- i mean rocky raccoon is some song oh. that a lot of people don't get but god yeah. i love that song it's my dad's a favorite of- song and it's such a great, a but people. it's such a great story. The yeah. song is good. 
but the story's even better. And I mean, I love Rocky Raccoon. And you know, while my guitar, my, while my guitar gently weeps is just one of my favorites. They just did so many good. And it's another Speaking band of, that. Oh, good. I'm just saying, it's another band that split up at the height of their powers. You know, they could have another well, decade. But it was, it's really interesting to like. I I read a I can't and I can't remember what the bio the, the biography it may just be called the Beatles, um, but it's a biography of the band, and they were going to break up. Like the inevitability of their breakup and the struggles that they were having creatively towards the end is they all wanted to go in different directions, whether it was Paul wanting to be much more mainstream and staying within like sort of the corporate radio world or uh, corporate music world or George Harrison, who just wanted an opportunity to have more of his music, make an album. Hey, you know, Spatty, you talked while my guitar gently weeps written by George Harrison. You know, just and he's an amazing songwriter and probably the most talented of the four of them, yet not the most well-known of the four. They're the least well-known of them, but it was just ridiculously talented. Uh, yeah, just and you look at it, you know, there's been multiple movies dedicated to this band in homages to this band, whether across, you know, whether you look at Across the Universe, which is a musical of nothing but Beatles tunes to... Um, I think it's a movie just called Yesterday. Yesterday, yeah, it just came out where the world ago. forgot the Beatles, yeah. except for like one guy and one he, guy. See, and it's a world where John Lennon doesn't die, and yeah. he meets and he meets John Lennon. He gets like it's a weird alternate reality thing. It's a very sweet, loving tribute to the Beatles. Um, I want to go but, to that world where John Lennon doesn't die. That that would be preferable, right? So yeah, there you know that it's number four. Or number five, sorry, on your list? like Four. It's number, oh, number four. four. Yeah, you're number four. Like, I see no fault in that. This was one that, you know, you mentioned having to shift around a couple at the last minute there. This was one that was on my list, and I moved it off. The Beatles yeah. were, were up there on my top ten, and then I, I dropped them. So definitely would have been up there for me, for sure. Uh, number four for me is The Counting Crows. Sticking in <laughs> that sticking in that 90s. <laughs> Mrs. O'Dowd loved the Counting Crows. I was so mad because I was going to see them last year at Summerfest, and they were on the list of bands, and they were on a time. It never mentioned anything that it was going to be one you had to pay for to get to. Mm -hmm. So we bought our tickets to get into Summerfest, went that day, and then found out that they were actually, you had to buy tickets ahead of time to go see them. I was so pissed because I thought they were on one of the free stages. It was CPR. I mean, August and everything after is another record that probably would rank really high. Yes, yes. Omaha is probably my favorite one of theirs. They do, they cover a good, they cover Ooh La La, which was, which is an awesome song that like, it's one of those bands that feel can do no wrong, you know, whatever they cover and they sing, it just sounds good every single time, no matter what they do. That Mr. Jones, I think probably the most popular yeah. one of them all, but like so, all of them. I have seen Counting Crows live, yeah. um, but I saw I saw Counting Crows live when, and I don't know what Adam Duritz is like now. Uh, he was not in the best shape for his concert, and literally was out of was like out of gas in the middle of the concert to the point where he had to like sit on the stage <laughs> to get through. Uh, I think it was round here, so there he kind of he kind of. Yep. There you go. He kinda, 
he kind of did the whole like I'm sitting down to like hunker down for round here to sing it like all deep and and make it meaningful and stuff. But it was really because he was out of gas. Like he was just uh, the other thing that blows my mind about Adam Jurtz. How many really ridiculously good looking women dated Adam Jurtz? Um, Too many the, for his. Ugly Courtney ass. Cox dated that guy. <laughs> like at the height of her friend's power, she's dating Adam Jurtz. I was like, why? I'm thinking, can sing because all you need to do is sing. We learned that from Eddie Murphy. That's That's right. Because Mick Jagger's an ugly motherfucker. (laughs) Right. Right. That is true. All right. My number four, I don't know if it'll be higher up on anybody's list. My number four was Metallica. It's higher on mine. All right. So we'll hold off on Metallica for now and go into my number three. And my number three, I blame on my mother uh, because she really started me down this path. But I, I love this man to know in and that's neil diamond uh you, you know i can't remember if it was dave or dp one of you had talked uh it was dp because you talked about um dylan and the amount of music he wrote for other people neil diamond is one of those songwriters that so much of his music wasn't just his music but was written for other people whether it was um i'm a believer which is most popular done by the monkeys. He wrote that Um, whether it's red wine, which was made, he, he did it, but it was made popular by UB 40 in the nineties. And one of the best live performances, I I used to listen to Neil Diamond all the time. He has some, he has some just beautiful storytelling in all of his music. And that's the thing that I, I think is amazing is that there's a song, um, called Morningside, which if you go and listen to Morningside, it's this really, really beautiful song that is just horribly heartbreaking and sad about a man who dies alone with, and the only thing that's left to remember him is a table that he made for his family that he had carved in there. He had dedicated it to his children and nobody claims this table and knows that he died. And it's just this heartfelt, soulful, beautiful tune that just breaks your heart uh he could do music like that and then he could do songs like brother loves travel and salvation show which is like this weird sort of evangelical sounding tune to america everybody likes to laugh about the song america that he did for the jazz singer which he dedicates to his mother who was an immigrant it's just i love his music i love everything about it it was the best concert i i think i could say i ever attended he went on and did two hours straight no break did a 30 minute encore that was your show and it was just non-stop and everybody that's on that band that plays with him has been touring with him for years and when he had to announce that he was done touring due to complications from parkinson's disease it crushed me as a fan like i know when he passes like that one's going to hurt. Uh, treasure his music. Tell me you've seen Saving Silverman, Patrick. Of course I've seen Saving Silverman. <laughs> All right. All More right. Just, just wanted to make sure. I was, that was what I was going to ask too. <laughs> ba, 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 da, da, ba, ba, da, ba, ba, ba. Love Neil Diamond. Oh, uh, yeah. I, he's, uh, he's one of my favorites too. I mean, I, it'll, it'll be a sad day when he goes, but yeah, he's, he's got, I mean, the jazz singer, that movie was just, uh, in the soundtrack was phenomenal 
I, I always think it's interesting that he has all these really famous Christmas albums and he, you know, Jewish man from Brooklyn <laughs> making bank off Christmas music. That's capitalism for you. Hells yeah. Uh, number three for me, you mentioned him earlier, Dave, and with the Stone Temple Pilots reference, but Allison Chains. Ah. Number three for me. I love Allison Chains. The whole Jar of Flies album is just one of my favorites. I love the nutshell and no excuses and no I excuses. stay away. God, you know, just wonderful music for me. It was just perfect. I love it. Love Jerry Cantrell. He did a few of his own kind of offshoot, you know, solo albums that were actually really good. And if you ever heard of Mad Season, they did one as well. That was kind of a compilation of, of a couple of different guys from, you know, more of a super group before super groups were super groups. And, uh, you know, they have some really good River Deceit and songs like that that were really good. But another one of those bands that I just got every wood. I know off the I think that's off the Dirt album. One of the most popular here. Down, Down in a Hole is my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, everything they've done is just fantastic for me. I love listening to them. And I actually got, uh, well, I, I got, I know he knows how to play it. There's, we frequent a, a local, you know, drinking establishment here near my house. And once in a while, they used to have live music playing. Obviously, this is long before the pandemic because we don't go there now. Uh, but, the, there was a guy that used to go there that played some pretty good music and he was at taking requests and I yelled out, you know, play some Alice in Chains and he rocked out with a couple of Alice in Chains songs that were just so awesome. And, you know, now I basically try and go listen to him whenever I can. Well, obviously not right now while things are going on, but would follow him around because he would go to different local bars and stuff. But just one of those that you could play awesome just on an acoustic guitar and it just sounds good. I still remember Sweet. where I was when Lane Staley died. Yeah, uh, I I remember where I was. I remember where I was walking. Uh, I was walking. It was a university dining hall, uh, and I remember because at the time uh, the televisions in the uh, the dining commons that we had played uh, MTVU. Uh, it was like the, it was because back when it was just a university only station, and I remember them announcing and reporting his death. Such a it was you know such a loss in that era yeah they're tremendous band as well um my number three was patrick's number four i don't know if it's higher on dan's but it's metallica nope i I don't know how it i don't know how it didn't make my top 10 because i love them but just i don't know didn't get on there (laughs) it's all right i think it probably would have been like 10 years ago probably would have been like my number one or number two and it's slowly working its way down They've kind of made a resurgence, but I mean, they're the godfathers of thrash metal. I mean, I, I mean, I've got some, I've probably seen them like three times and it should have been fourth, four times. But right. the, my story there is that I uh, sat in the back of my friend's van and ended up drinking three fourths of a liter of Canadian mist on my own and never made it into that concert. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I remember the first time I saw them live Metallica live and it was, you know, you talk about festivals and stuff we were talking about with Jim earlier. There was a tour in the mid eighties, like 85, the monsters of rock tour at RFK stadium in Washington, DC. And like the first band was kingdom come, which was kind of like a Zeppelin ish ripoff sort of band. They were okay. The second band that came out was Metallica and they absolutely eviscerated. The, the crowd was just done after Metallica. And the last three bands were docking the scorpions and van Hagar. 
or Van Halen, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, they all paled in comparison to Metallica. They did that like Ozzy Osbourne had Metallica open for them on the Master Puppets tour. Metallica blew Ozzy off the stage. They were just this band that just could do no wrong. And, you know, they they persevered even after Cliff died in that tragic bus accident. Jason Newstead came in. You talk about complex albums and Justice for All. And then they come out with a black album, which really kind of put metal on the map. Metal was at the time still a lot of people were listening to it, but it was not radio friendly. Then that black album came out and just broke down all the well, barriers. And Metallica albums used to be like tool albums. They like, used to be in, in the yeah. sense that, you know, Metallica seven albums minute songs, yeah, Justice seven for minute all songs, like seven or, you know, seven or eight tracks. And black album was a departure from that. Like the inner Sandman was palatable to the radio because it was short. Yeah, but there's a relative to relative to like other stuff. Absolutely, but there are long songs on on the Black Album, you know. But but again, relative to what what Metallica used to do, like my favorite Metallica album is Master of Puppets. Like I love Master of Puppets. Yeah, and the thing I love about older Metallica versus some of the newer stuff, though I did like Death Magnetic, was that we talk about musicianship, and I thought it was always interesting and unique to Metallica. Like they used to have just a straight up, like no no lyric, just uh, just a what's oh, like, like the or, oh, instrumental, like, like a Orion, five minute Orion, instrumental. instrumental. Orion, yeah, Orion, anesthesia, yeah, yeah, like seven minute, eight minute long instrumentals, just them out there playing, and it was it was beautiful, and the musicianship behind it is terrific and, and not what people think of necessarily when you say Metallica, most people think enter Sandman, they think a black album. Right. And you know, the less that we, we say about, um, St. Anger, the better. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> they were the, they were the first, they were the first headlining act I ever saw in a, in a concert at that, that festival in Chicago. They talk about rock fest. Yeah. Uh, I love that, that they, you know, have still continued to put out music and are relevant. I hate that they're a bunch of assholes. Like, let's be real, James and um, James and Lars in Lars. particular are, are assholes. But I love their music. Yeah, love I think their music. The my five. Friend, oh, go, go ahead, Patrick. No, go ahead. Well, my best friend in college and I, when we wanted to get away from the campus, we would take all of our Metallica CDs. We would have mandatory Metallica, and we would drive as far as we could, listening to our favorite tracks off of every Metallica CD we owned. Dude, the radio station in D.C., D.C. 101, one of the best-known stations in Washington, used to have something called Mandatory Metallica. Yeah, that right. in Milwaukee as well, the Bob and Brian, the local guys in the rock station, yeah. did the same thing for like an hour or something like that. It was, Or maybe it was just like three songs, but yeah, Mandatory Metallica. I think Metallica got hurt by that five-year gap between the Black Album and Load, and people were really wanting oh, stuff to come out. Huh? Yeah, Napster, Napster didn't help either. But uh, I but I mean, and I like load and I like reload and Saint Anger was not good. Yeah, that that, that I, and it it probably could have been good if the sound quality was different. But it just whatever, tried to, yeah, what are you guys lo- doing? They tried to go back to the uh, kill Garage. them all sound, you know, where it was like it didn't sound it, you know, it sounded like that a but little that, bit, but it wasn't as good. But the drums were all fucked up. I mean, yeah. kill them all I, doesn't sound anything like Saint Anger does. Yeah. So the drum, the drums are the thing I can never get over. Yeah, I don't know I why like they and tried I, and to I, go back. And I bought that album. Right. You know. So but as we sit there and talk about how they're like our number two, three, four band of all time. <laughs> yeah, but one album sucked. Fuck. Yeah. That's right. 
Um, my number two, because it, it goes to me for number two. This is the band that I'm shocked is not on Patrick's list, and it's Rush. And, and I just I like Rush, yes. And I'm surprised they're not on your list. I mean, especially after we did our our thing with Neil Pert when he passed away. And I mean, geez, I must have seen these guys like four or five times and talk about a band that just went through evolutions and and tried to just experiment with their music, and it always was great. And you're talking about three of the most talented guys uh, out of anybody we've probably talked about on these lists. And I mean, Neil Peart, greatest drummer of all time, in my opinion. Getty Lee, greatest bassist of all time, in my opinion. And Alex Lifeson, most underrated guitarist of all time, in my opinion. They just, they, their songs, I mean, you would talk about complex stuff, music ship. Jesus, I don't think it, La Villa Strongiato. And Cygnus X1, and I mean, it doesn't get any better Here's than my them. Thing with Rush. I own exactly one Rush album, and it's like a it's like a hits album. So I love Rush, and I love the music that they bring to the table. Uh, and I do. I love Neil Peart as a drummer. He's not my favorite drummer of all time. David Garibaldi from Tower of Power is my favorite drummer of all time. Band that did not make the list. My favorite bassist of all time is Les, is Les Claypool. And, you know, I think that I, like, I think he's the greatest bass player of all time. You know, Vince fighting words, splitting hairs in terms of talent, um, different sort of thing. But yeah, like I love, um, I mean, you can't, you can't say enough about Tom Sawyer, for example. Like you just can't. Uh, but I love, I love Rush. They're just not in my top 10. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm just, I was surprised, but, uh, they're uh, they're my number two of all time. I mean that that band and and it pains me that there is no hope for a uh, one last tour because because I mean, Neil's they, passed they away. Put, they literally toured till Neil died though. They did, they did, and, and everything they, they he went through. Around. Yeah, right. number two for me, guys. My number two, you mentioned in the breasts of one of these things just doesn't belong earlier. Oh, I bet. I, okay, it's the bare naked ladies. <laughs> I love the bare naked ladies. I love the bare naked ladies. Holy shit. They the bare naked ladies almost made my list. Yeah, yeah. They are one of those bands that just they have they have fun with a lot of their songs. You know, they're entertaining. They may not necessarily have a, a specific meaning or anything like that, but they're just fun. They put in some weird oh, yeah. weird style of sound to a handful of their stuff that it's just it's just so great. You know, you mentioned Brian Wilson. They do a song called Brian Wilson, which is actually a really good song. Um, I think it's uh, the whole that whole Gordon album actually is just one of those that is really oh, good yeah. from start to finish. Um, but just so many of their fun ones. I know everybody knows one week and, you know, off the you know radio and, and pinch me. And um, I'm going to forget the other one. That's the big popular one. But it's all been done. That's the other popular one. Yeah. Um, but their whole discography, minus one, because one of their albums is just hot garbage. I don't know why they did it, but the rest Which of them are really that? good. Snack Time. <laughs> I don't know if you Oh, the kids' album. That's yeah. a children's album. That's it's why. My son terrible. loves Snack Time. Oh, really? <laughs> My son, yeah, we listen to we listen to Snack Time all the time. He lo- There's a song called The Ninjas. The Ninjas okay. are deadly but silent. They're also unspeakably violent. <laughs> I love it. The alphabet, yeah. al- the alphabet song, I'm okay with a little bit. I like that one. Where the, I think that's off that same that's album. That's neat. Yeah. Well, where where he's talking about he uses he needs some funny words, words yeah. that that yeah that don't sound like they start with the right letter or with the letter they think of. No. But yeah, we talked we, talk, we talked about karaoke earlier. One of my favorite karaoke B and L songs to do is uh, was "What a Good Boy." Oh, I love uh, that one. 
Yeah. I've seen I've seen the Bare Naked Ladies three times in concert. Uh, I saw them at that fest, and I saw them in St. Louis right after they did their follow-up album to Stunt, um, which I can't remember what it was called. Yeah. And then um, Maroon. Maroon, it was called yeah. Maroon. Yep. And then uh, I saw them as things kind of faded down. They just put out an album two years ago, three years ago, called Fake Nudes. Yes. Um, which has a great song on there called um, Looking Up that they did a video for, which they uh, they continue to make videos and have hits in Canada. And uh, there's a couple of ones that I really dig on there that um, that they put out. Looking Up is a fun one. It's got them on a stranded island. And, um, oh, God, there's another one. And I'm going to forget the name. Odds Are. The song's called Odds Are. It's on a different album. Yes, it's on Gritting but Streak. I was going to bring that one up, too. Gritty that that one has a couple of them. Did I say that out loud? And Odds Are that are, like, really good ones. Have you, have you seen the video for Odds Are? No, no. So look up the video from Odds Are. And you okay. want to talk about a video you have to watch multiple times. It's hilarious. Because it's like this world-ending disaster is happening. They're all in a newsroom doing the news. And all these things are happening. And there's a little crawl. And first watch the video, take it all in, but then read the crawl the second time through. It's hilarious, hilarious stuff. Okay. So check it out. So that brings me to my number two. My number two is the who Uh, I mentioned this when you brought up Zeppelin, there was always this big conversation, Led Zeppelin or the who Led Zeppelin or the who I had more music by the who in my life growing up than I did Led Zeppelin. And so the who made a much bigger impression on me, whether it was rock operas like Quadrophenia or Tommy. Everybody knows Tommy. That's, you know, probably the most famous one. Uh, but the Quadrophenia double album is one of my favorite albums to, to listen to. You just hit play and start from beginning to end. The Quadrophenia song itself, which is, which is a seven to eight minute instrumental, is beautifully put together. Some complex, complex music. Uh, Who's Next is one of... I would, I would put up there with any album you want to put up there with music to listen to with like Baba O'Reilly on there. I love uh, that. That's one of my favorites yeah. too. Cause I, I, for a long time, my, uh, my significant other couldn't understand the fact that it wasn't called teenage wasteland. And I always made her, you know, Hey, what's the name of the song whenever it came on. And so that she would get to remember that it's Baba O'Reilly, which makes absolutely no sense. Why it would be called that. Right. Won't get fooled again. Um, as, you know, just just great, great music. Another one of the forefathers of heavy metal and hard rock. They could do it all. They started out playing tunes like the Beatles. Like if you go back and you listen to some of their really early stuff, I think that uh, you know one of the one of my favorite movies of the, of all time. This is Spinal Tap. They kind of parody the Who in terms of their development with like where they started to to what they became. So that's my number two. Yeah, songs like I Can't Explain in their yep. early days. And one of my favorite Who songs is is one that kind of is a little bit underrated. I think it's uh, You Better. You Better, I mean, I, You Better, You Bet. I love that fucking song, man. That, that's probably my favorite song by them. But Pinball Wizard is oh, yeah, such a, a fantastic song. Guy. Love that one, yeah. Uh, and, and you talk about just great musicians. Like, again, across yes. the board, you've got Roger Daltrey and, and his unique vocals. Pete Townsend is good a guitarist as anybody in the world. You drew the similarity between Led Zeppelin and The Who. How about Keith Moon and John Bonham? Both yeah, died Moon, basically the self, same way. Destructive men. And in fact, Keith Moon is the reason why Pete Townsend is partially deaf in one ear, blowing up his drum on the Smothers Brothers show. 
just everything about that band is amazing. And it was on bass, just um, a great, great band. Just a yeah. great, great band. Love them. People, people criticize them for being kind of the corporate of the two. Like when, when you look, when you would compare the two, the ones that were played in the so. label versus, I don't agree with it, but that's, that's one of the arguments I've seen in, in the fights is just how, how free was their music versus, you know, what they were putting out there. So that's yeah. my number two. We're, we're to our number ones. My number one, Dave, you already mentioned it as, of course, it's my all time favorite band without question. That's Queen. Um, for 20 years, this was a band that invented and reinvented itself time and time again. Has one of the most all time iconic frontmen ever in the history of ever. And in Freddie Mercury, one of the most, you know, tragic losses in in British music to lose Freddie to, to AIDS during the height of, of the AIDS crisis when we still weren't really understanding. He died in 91, I want to say, if I'm 91 or 92. And first of all, don't watch the movie. The movie is trash. You know, outside of Remy Malik, there's so many things that are not accurate about the way that movie is made and portrayed. It is Queen as Queen wants you to see them. It is not Queen as Queen really was. And just... But the band itself and the the talent that was behind there, Roger Taylor on drums was a terrific, terrific drummer. People don't give enough credit to the guitar play of Brian May. Brian May invented his in, an entire sound of guitar. That distinctive guitar sound from Queen was was done by Brian, and, and wasn't something that anybody else was doing with an electric guitar. And you know, you know Queen by by his sound. Like you hear that that guitar play, and you're like, "That's Queen." You hear Freddie Mercury sing, and you're like, "That's Freddie Mercury," and it's mind blowing. And they evolved, and that's the thing that I found truly amazing. Like they started out as a prog rock, early hard rock sort of band. They had you know Bohemian Rhapsody, and it's seven and a half minutes. They have another song on Night at the Opera that people don't talk about called the Prophet Song. It's nine minutes long. It's ridiculous. It's one of my favorite songs by them. Very experimental. So many different layers of sound within that tune. And, you know, as they progressed through the 70s and the 80s, switching, like they had sounds that had, you know, remnants of disco. They had sounds that were remnant of funk. They had sounds that were remnant of pop and using synthesizers and things that they moved later on in their career. And Freddie literally, we talked about uh, Neil Peart. Freddie literally sang until the day he died. Their last album, he was he was a wreck physically. And he still recorded his vocals, and they were as dynamite as ever. And just, I love them. I've seen them twice with Adam Lambert, and it's a hell of a show. You have to appreciate Adam Lambert and that he comes up very clear and says, I'm not Freddie. I'm not trying to be Freddie. And they just, they work so well together as a group. And the last plug, and this will be the last I say about it. I'm sorry to take up so much time. Netflix just put out a documentary about how Adam Lambert and Queen came together. And it's a much better Queen movie to watch than we, than, than Bohemian Rhapsody. 
See, and I don't have a problem with Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, it's historically very inaccurate, but it, Remy well, Malek just knocked it out of the park. I think it's a movie that the performance of one actor outshines the movie itself. Like, and it's because the movie makes it sound like Freddie left them. Like that never really happened. Right. That never. They never happened. really. They never. Really the timing. The timing's very much off in that movie. Tell them he had AIDS right before the Live Aid performance. That's no. not how that happened. Uh, they did capture. But they did capture the Live Aid performance pretty oh, well, which, which is probably the greatest live performance in musical history was Queen's performance at Live Aid. You watch the other bands who went out, like like I talked, Led Zeppelin at JFK Stadium for Live Aid. Nowhere close to Queen. And we're talking about Led Zeppelin. Um, but yeah, what they did for, what was it, 21 minutes yep. at Wembley Stadium is the greatest live performance ever. The movie dramatizes it because if it went down like the movie would, it would be on another level even greater than it was because you think these guys hadn't been playing together for two years and they hit the stage and pulled that off. That's not what happened. They'd been playing together. They'd been touring right before Live Aid happened. Right. So it wasn't, but it's still, you right. cannot take away that performance and, and well, the engagement between true. him and the crowd. What was true out of that performance is that Freddie's voice, he was struggling with his voice leading into the performance. Right. Uh, the other thing that's really that they leave out that I think is really interesting is that they were very intentional about lobbying to get the spot that they got to perform to put themselves in front of the American audience at a time when they would know when they knew they would be able to be seen. They were very clever in, in, in the way that they did it. But um, a couple of shows ago, maybe even last show, Christopher Platt and I, I think I told you guys, we kind of bonded over Queen and just our mutual appreciation. He had never seen the Live Aid performance. Oh, and wow. I, I sent him a YouTube video and I was like, you want to watch one man own 100,000 people watch Freddie Mercury do the Live Aid performance in Queen? Because he owns 100,000 people at Wembley Stadium. And it's, it's beautiful. I get chills just talking about it. To see an entire audience in sync for Radio Gaga. Like, it's oh, just crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy. And one of the best moments, I, I'll say one of the I mean, this is one of the great moments of the last decade for me is the Washington Capitals winning the Stanley Cup and singing We Are the Champions after 44 years of bullshit. And I know you felt the same thing with the Blues one year later. I mean, that's... Yeah, we sang Gloria. So, well, yeah, you did, but that's a lamer you know, song. It's a lamer song than We Are the Champions. It was our even song, you've got it. <laughs> it's our song, God damn it. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Stay off your lawn. I understand, but... Uh, yeah, I hear you, though. Yeah, we. I mean... One of the great stadium anthems of all time. We oh, will absolutely. That we will rock you and we are the champions together. Yeah. I mean, they're lower on my list, but uh, they've really risen over the last few years on my list as to where I always loved them. But the last few years, they've I, really jumped. I love the exposure that the movie gave this band. Deserve uh, it. Exposure. And, you know, and it's, it's the second time where exposure like that has happened. Wayne's World was the first one. Bohemian yes. Rhapsody got new life through Wayne's World. Didn't it hit, hit number one again? It re-entered yeah. the charts, yeah. I And that's actually where I learned about the band and fell in love with them, is that I saw this video, was like, this song is great, and my dad was like, look down here, and he had A Night at the Opera, the self-titled album, Day at the Races, News of the World, which for me is my favorite album by then, which has everything from rock to blues to metal. It's beautiful. But enough about Queen. We got other number ones to get to. I could do this all night. DP, why don't you share your number one, man? 
My number one is Tantric slash Days of the New. Okay, I, there you go. I lumped them together okay. because basically Tantric is Days of the New minus the lead singer for the most part. So it's like the whole band. I think it was uh, Travis Meeks with all his drug problems and everything. They just told him <laughs> to F off and started Tantric and took off even more from there. But like songs like Shelf in the Room and Touch, Peel and Stand and uh, the down, the downtown um, are just a- awesome. Enemy, and then Enemy on their next album yeah. there, and then flowing into the the band Tantric with uh, Breakdown and Astounded, and there, that was one where just every album of theirs basically was start to finish phenomenal, and just ones that I could listen to over and over and over again if I had to pick one album or one band I could listen to for the rest of my life, that would definitely be it because their, their sound is just so good. The, the voice from the, you know, the lead singer is amazing. I think they just have just a great sound. They do some, some good covers. Um, I know they, they covered the chain, which I know everybody covers of Fleetwood Max, but you know, they did, I, I felt like they did such a good job with it that it was, it's, it's one of their most popular songs actually, but they're just their whole thing. And then they're still coming out with some new stuff that is just, it always sounds good to me. It's one of those. I feel like they can never put out a bad song, you know, kind of like a counting crows or anything. Even if they cover a song, it just sounds good. Um, they did a, Oh, they did a Bon Jovi song, uh, wanted dead or alive at Summerfest that day. They played over, they played over the radio and it just, they just sounded so good playing it. It was just great. Bon Jovi pulling back the curtain, a band originally on Patrick's list that yep. got bumped. I had to make that call yeah. back for him. <laughs> young, young, young Patrick loved Bon Jovi. Older Patrick appreciates Bon Jovi, but it's he's honestly like when I look in the mirror, these ten are in front of him. Yeah, Bon Jovi's fantastic. But that, uh, live it they, on, that live it on a prayer video though. Oh Jesus! Right. Days of the New was uh that I mean you know a band for all acoustic like they were to pull that off at a time when that really wasn't being done and break through like that, that yeah, I love days and you yeah. haven't listened to as much tantric, but I probably need to. That's it's basically, uh, yeah. If you, if you like days, it's the same exact stuff, which is the different lead singer, but he sounds just, I mean, it sounds exactly the same. So it's like, I, I just absolutely love it. That's a hundred percent. My wheelhouse is that more acoustic style, heavy on the guitar, strong lyrics, and it just it fits everything I love, and it's just such every one of their songs just so damn good. I got to check them out. So my number one, despite my you know saying stuff about Slayer last week, it's not Slayer is not number one. And Patrick knows who number one is. They're always behind me whenever I'm on video here, and it's Green Day is my number one band. They're in my wheelhouse. It, these guys have been around coming up on thirty years or longer than that. I, I mean, and, and they've kind of reinvented themselves a few times. I love what Billy Joe's been doing during the pandemic, just releasing new cotton, new covers like virtually every week since the pandemic started. But, uh, as far as power punk goes, this is the band. I don't think there's another one who can match green day. Uh, two albums that really stand out is dookie was the one that really put them on the map. And then of course, American idiot. And, you know, trying to live up to American Idiots since then, since 2004, has been a, a difficult challenge. But, yeah, if you're going to be held to that standard, good luck. But it's a band I've seen a few times live. They always put on an excellent show. Uh, they're very talented. Trey Cool's an underrated drummer. Uh, they're, they're, just, they're just they're fun to listen to. All their songs are kind of catchy. Some are more complex than others. Jesus of Suburbia is the only 
really long song. Well, that they got a couple of them on American Idiot, but they, they're just my favorite band. It's been that yeah, way since Rub. Nobody. What's that? There was nobody. Uh, oh, that. No one was looking. <laughs> the hit, the hidden song on Dookie. What is it? You gotta wait like ten minutes for the, for it to come up. Right, seven just, minutes after FOD <laughs> after FOD ends, it's seven minutes of just waiting around for that stuff. But uh, they're they're my favorite band. I, I love the band. I, I just love just about everything they do. Some of it's been better than others lately. I'm not so crazy about the new album. Uh, you know, the Which father one? of all father of all motherfuckers. Um, it's brand new. It's like it, it's funny. Like, it's like how new is brand new? Like like. February of 2020, it came oh, out. Really, really. I didn't even know that. I, yeah, I didn't even know that was an album that came out. It's it's okay. I'll put it that way. It's it's all right. There's some problems with it. Uh, it does not sound a lot like Green Day in a lot of places. A lot of theories abound that their record contract just ended, and they were required to put this out, and that another album was in the offing. Um, that really hasn't come to pass yet. One of the one of the uh, uh, fucking casualties of the pandemic was they were going to do a tour at Dodger Stadium on July 25th. They would have coming up in two weeks. It was going to be Green Day, Weezer, and Fallout Boy at Dodger Stadium. Uh, that's not going to happen. Good. Yeah, I got. I uh, got to share the, the last. Uh, the last Green Day album I had was uh, 2009's uh, 21st Century Breakdown. 21st Breakdown. Breakdown. Yeah, that's the last one I had. Well, I had know. no idea they even put out an album. Man, damn. When you're when you're when you're part when you're in the opening credits of the Simpsons movie, I feel like you made yes. it. <laughs> right. that's, that's the big right. That's the standard oh. we're gonna use. <laughs> so, well, fellas, that was a, a terrific set of lists. Well done, well done. Um, all very very strong lists. So those are it, folks. That is the bandwagon nerds' super definitive end all be all list of the greatest music acts of all time. I uh, hope you all enjoyed them. I enjoyed them. I got a couple of new acts. Uh, I, d- I hate to ask this, but DP, could you like send me a written out list of your of your uh, of yours so that I could? Because I, I think yours is the one that I had bands that I'd never heard of that my, I'm kind of interested in checking out. My so. wild and crazy '90s, and then the randoms. Yeah. Well, some yeah, some <laughs> of those like your number ten. I know in particular sounded really interesting, yeah. and I've already forgotten his name. Charlie Terrell. So, yep. Yeah, there you yeah. go. So I would love to. I would love to be able to follow up with those as well. But um, great show, fellas. I, I think that this was was really well done. I enjoyed, you know, having to break up the list was a little bit different to get the, you know, to make sure that we kept on time with Jim in the interview. But uh, I felt like it, it worked pretty well. I hope you guys felt like it worked that way, too. Yeah, I, I think it worked out well. Uh, they're, they're good lists all the way around. I mean, no, nothing on mine that was really surprising people that you hadn't heard of. But yeah, that's it's interesting, though, to, to hear the different eras a little bit too of what we grew up with is it's, it's you kind of could see the different tiers of where people's favorite was, albums it's, are. It's pretty eclectic. And, and that's always, you know, I mean, that's the great thing about music. And, you know, we talked about this at the beginning music being subjective. It shows in the list that we put together and who we grew up listening to and who we currently listen to as well. Cause I think that's the other part of it is that, you know, there's, there's current acts, there's not so current acts and, all everything in between. So great, great stuff. Before we go, fellas, I do have a, a question related to our music episode today for the POD has a question segment. We talked about one hit wonders. I'm going to take one hit wonders to a new level. One tune that
that when you hear it, you immediately associate with a particular movie. So like your best movie soundtrack tune. I can even go the, first if you need a minute to the, think. The first one that pops into my head is actually one we mentioned in this Bohemian Rhapsody with Wayne's World, honestly, yeah. is one that I when I hear that song, that's what I think of. And I still do the same motions and bits that they do while they're sitting in the car singing to that song. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's one for sure. Bohemian Rhapsody would be one, um, man, immigrant song. You mentioned that earlier. That's really kind of synonymous with Thor Ragnarok now when, when I think about it, but beyond that, um, maybe sympathy for the devil with, uh, with, it wasn't that good fellas or shit. I'm trying to think about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm drawing some blanks. Oh, uh, you guys are really disappointing me. I'm going to go back to the eighties. You got power of love I, for Back to the Future. Nope. That you know, Huey <laughs> or Dan- Danger Zone from Top Gun. There, you, that's the one. I, no, no, nope. I have the Tiger, Rocky Three. Yeah, there you oh, go. Rocky. I have yeah. the Tiger, Rocky Three. Rocky Three free frame ending, man. Like, ah, oh, come on. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. I feel like uh, we've given you all the musical references you need, folks. So I hope you all enjoy it. Before we go. Why don't we say, um, tell the folks where they can find us today. We'll start with David Ungar. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. And you can also find me guest host, guest starring, not guest starring, guest hosting with uh, DP and PC Tony on the DWI podcast this week. Put you guys over even more. We need it. We always need it. Over it's always appreciated. <laughs> You can find me uh, all over the worldwide social media interwebs at it's me DPP and the aforementioned DWI podcast. Check that out on Twitter at podcast DWI or on Facebook at facebook.com slash DWI podcast, as well as a winner is you, which is uh, all over Twitter and Facebook at a winner is you, the letter U. Excellent. And you can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. You can hear me every Tuesday here on Bandwagon Nerds. You can also hear me on Wednesdays on the Greg DeMarco Show. Again, that title changed uh, two weeks ago now in the middle of the show. So listen to me on the Greg DeMarco Show. You can also follow the Bandwagon Nerds Twitter account at Bandwagon Nerds. That's where the poll goes up. We need more people to vote in the poll so we don't have unnecessary ties so that we have to put our guests uh, on the spot. Uh, Thankfully, Jim, with a nuanced response to why we should be doing vacation over planes, trains, and automobiles. So very excited to do that. You can also um, follow us on thechairshot.com as part of the uh, Chairshot Radio Network. Our, listen to us on all the different uh, uh, platforms where podcasts are, are available, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, et cetera, et cetera. And then also, if you like our site, if you like the podcast we have to offer you and you want to support us, check out our store on Pro Wrestling Tees. That's at prowrestlingtees.com forward slash thechairshot. Look for all kinds of wonderful shirts, whether it's just the site name, whether it's hashtag safe tag team wrestling. Just don't look for a bandwagon nerds shirt because we don't have one yet. Someday we will live the dream and have our own merchandise. Until then, we'll just have to hold out. Hope that you'll can, you know, support us in the site through some of the other selections available. 
With that, I'd like to send out one thank you to Jim Ryan, contributor to Forbes magazine, for giving us some time to do an interview. Thank you again, fellow listener, for giving us three hours today on this supersized edition of Bandwagon Nerds. We'll see you next week. Climb out of the basement where we are going to get some sunshine and finish watching The Boys, right? That's where we got to wrap up. That's it, man. No sunshine for me. Just episode eight. No sunshine for Dave. We'll get some sunshine and we'll see you here next week on Bandwagon Nerds.